This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 74. Yes, first one of 2022. The first episode of 2022 is going to be an AUA, an Ask Us Anything. Yes. Which we have not done in a while. And, and it showed. We got a lot of good responses from this one. Yeah. So let's tie up some loose ends. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have a few people. Uh, I think uh, Jeannie Nutter had said she tried the foam press. Mm-hmm. Um, one other guy who said his coach trained at Westside, it sounded like, mm-hmm. and said, like, his coach saw the foam blocks like sitting in the back at Westside. Nobody used them anymore. Yes. So I guess that was not a keeper exercise. Um, S- sounds like it. Uh, evil uh, Travis McKinney, uh, I believe, tried it as well, or at least he's named in the uh, in the photo. Sure, of course. <laughs> um, and I did get lots of input on places that make stretchy dress pants. I, I mean, I know that they are made. What I'm looking for is somebody to sponsor Hoff and Leah and really promote it and have like, you know, because you can have – stretchy pants but mm-hmm. are, are they the proper size for a person like leah or a person like hoff so that that i'm less sure of so i was i was thinking about this especially after some of the responses we got and so i personally buy jeans from old navy and i will usually get the waist about two to three sizes up and then just get them taken in ah and and, and that works for me because they, they are the stretchy material they do have the different styles that i i may like you know you Usually a boot cut because it just uh, fits better on the calves. Because um, that's the other thing that you know, Leah and Hoff will have to run into is like, cool, you have something that fits the waist and the thighs, but also you have the calves too. So many pants of the styles are that tapered style, and that is a pain in the ass to work around. But Old Navy does a good job with that. Uh, and so I wonder because they typically don't do a lot of like big time celebrities and like quote unquote normal people in their ads. I wonder if it would be kind of unique to say, hey, these are unique people. And so, sure. may, so there could actually be like a push for that if if we were somehow get the right to, you know individuals over there at Old Navy. So you know if anybody knows some executives at Old Navy, feel free to pass this episode on. Perfect. <laughs> Other than that, Mr. Bain, uh, what is going on? Uh, well, I have two what is going ons. Uh, one, <laughs> our, our uh, New Year's Eve hotel story, and I'll keep this fairly PG because I've told the not PG version here at the gym a couple of times. Uh, so my wife and I went down to the city. Uh, one of the reasons we did is we wanted to kind of be able to move freely around the city, given some of the new, uh, mandates in place, which are, I would say 50, 50 being enforced right now down in the city uh, of Chicago. And one of our favorite hotels is Palmer house. And for those who don't know, Palmer house is a very historic hotel property in Chicago, uh, a little over a hundred years old, a lot of really cool stories behind there. My favorite one is that the brownie was actually invented at Palmer house. Wow, so, I did not know that. And they actually still sell the original recipe uh, at, at the uh, at the bar. Is, is it a frosted or a non-frosted brownie? Or is it like a powdered sugar brownie? Uh, so it is a frosted brownie. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. very, and delicious. I mean, it really is like a very, very solid pastry. And so uh, that is one of the reasons we love the place. But it's also, it's very strategically placed. It's two blocks from the Art Institute. It's right down the street from uh, Millennium Park. So I got to go flick the bean on New Year's Day, which was great. Both? Both. <laughs> so... We stayed there, and we decided to actually just have dinner at the hotel bar because there was a wedding going on. There were lots of just kind of ad hoc celebrators. And I'm like, this sounds like fun. Like, let's, let's do this and just kind of watch and people watch because Nick and I like doing that. And 
got to be about 10.30. We decided to go back to the room. And we get back to the room. And at 11 o'clock on the dot, we, we're watching TV. And we hear on both sides of our room. And we just lost it. We are laughing like, wow, like everybody's on Eastern time apparently. So for those that maybe can't interpolate that uh, sound effect, that would be maybe the kids would call it clap and cheeks. Relations. Got it. Yeah, perfect. Uh, also, uh, for those who follow me on the gram, and I believe a lot of folks who listen to this uh, show do, uh, I did a kind of like photo dump of 2021 and I use the caption, uh, my life is dope and I do dope shit. And one, because I love that quote. I think it's, I think it's awesome. It's, uh, it's an old uh, Kanye West quote, actually, via Dave Chappelle. If you've never seen that, just look up, my life is dope and I do dope shit on YouTube. Solid 30 seconds. Uh, but the reason why I did that is the last two years have been so challenging for a lot of people. And, and it's, it's tough for me. It's been tough on my, on my marriage. It's been tough on work. It's been tough on I mean, training. I mean... It, Every one of us has been impacted on a variety of levels by everything from COVID to mandates to politics, whatever. And it's sometimes really hard to like re- remember. Like we still can do really cool things. I mean, Eric's gonna go through that here in a second. We talk about two XL by the numbers. But I look back at all the travel I did, the places I went, the memories I made. Some of them were some of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Experienced the women's program for the first time. Uh, some of the other photos, you know, from the WPO and stuff with my kids and, you know, work travels and celebrating, you know, more life with my wife. And that was the last one I ended with is Nick and I are now entering the 20th year that we've known each other. And that's what I really like it crystallized for me. Like, you know, as, as challenging as the last couple of years have been, my life is still dope and I still do a lot of dope fucking shit. And that's, that's really what the folks that was, was not because I'm great, but because I really wanted to push people to say, Hey, like look back and look back through your photos over the last 12 months, and you've also done some pretty dope shit. So okay. That, so that's what's going on. Stone, what's going on with you? Well, unfortunately, it was a COVID Christmas in the Stone household. COVID. And if you were curious why Bane and I were uh, remote, Bane was remote last time we recorded. It's mm-hmm. because I just found out Jackie was positive. And the CDC recommended the Strength and Anger go remote. Yeah, and so I was here in the Strength and Anger studios. Bane, to be safe, was remote. Mm-hmm. I mostly worked... I don't know if I had COVID or not. I never tested positive. I did get a test last week. I never got results. Hmm. Um, uh, Maybe I, you're patient zero. I guess so. For the new Starscream variant. Starscream, lambda, 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 I'm guessing. That, that's, that's 2024. You're way ahead in the sequels. Oh, got it. Yeah. We so I, I mostly worked from the gym uh, in kind of Howard's office um, away from everybody until it seemed like I'd quarantined from everybody enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, we missed Christmas. We missed Christmas Eve. Luckily, after 10 days of quarantining, we were able to spend New Year's Eve with my dad and my brother and his family. My wife had COVID. My brother had COVID. My sister-in-law had COVID. All their kids had COVID. I think myself and my kids uh, did not get it. But I, I mean, it's plausible we had it and we're asymptomatic, I guess. Mm-hmm. So not ideal. Um, 2021 for 2XL by the numbers. This is awesome, by the way. So, I, I love this. So I just looked back and looked back on past schedules. I actually should type this up and just have all the meets and dates saved for uh, for the future so I can mm-hmm. look back at that. Um, I just kind of looked back at old schedules. So in 2021, we had 13 APF-sanctioned meets mm-hmm. here at the gym. We had three seminars. We had two strongman events. Mm-hmm. Of those uh, powerlifting meets, we had three three-day events. 
we had one two-day event mm-hmm. for a total of 20 days of powerlifting meets. You, you must be so tired. And if you include... Uh, Especially being a parent and running a small business. If you include the seminars and strongman events, we had 26 days of events at the gym. You know what actually would be a really interesting stat? It would probably take you a bit to, to pull this, but the amount of pounds or kilos, however you want to do it, successfully lifted during all those events last year. Yikes. I, 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 I'm not saying you should, but like that would be a really interesting number if there's a fast way to pull that, whether it's open powerlifting or whatever. But. Yeah. We'll be neat. Uh, debuting a new segment tonight, Mr. Bain. God, I can't believe we're doing uh, that. I haven't yet. <laughs> I haven't yet found a uh, clip for this, but let's go, Brandon. Are they saying let's go, Brandon? Our Brandon segment of the night, Mr. Bain. Oh boy, here we go. Strap in, folks. <laughs> so. and, and just just for context, if you're new, um, this is replacing what is bullshit which was replaced by fake news, yes. and now is being replaced by Let's Go Brandon. Correct. So, LGB. Let's go Brandon time. So, PCR tests in Illinois are fucking bullshit. So, for some context around this, and this is where it got me pretty heated last week, uh, during New Year's week, so for those who don't know, my oldest daughter, Lily, she's a gymnast. There, there's many things Lily does. In fact, we're not really sure there's anything she can't do other than go to class. Um Lily was at practice, and there is a protocol that we did not realize was in place that if you cough a certain number of times in a certain time span, and in this case it was three times in under five minutes, you have to be sent home from practice and or class, whatever the case may be, and you cannot return until you have a negative test, or that's what we assumed. Well, Lily and my wife immediately went to uh, a place by us, got rapid tested and PCR tested. Now, Lily had said she was feeling a little rundown, but said, no problem, I'll go to practice. And she wanted to go to practice. She wanted to see her teammates, and she wanted to get ready for a meet that was the next day. Her rapid test came back positive. We then, my wife's came back negative, and then later on on Tuesday morning, my wife got her PCR test, and it came back negative. We then waited almost three and a half, almost four days for Lily's PCR test. I had to call, screaming, yelling, asking for it, and was told, and this is one of the things that infuriated me, that this is private medical information and cannot be shared on the phone. <laughs> Meanwhile, you got to tell everybody you know. You have to tell. I mean, you have to make it a national event, like a press conference, and tell the fucking world if you test positive. So finally, we get the PCR test. Her PCR test from that day comes back negative. So my feeling now is that she got a false positive. Right, because generally the the rapid tests are thought to be less accurate than the PCR. Correct. Correct. That's the, what the prevailing science. The medical says. professionals and some of them here at Two XL have said it is anywhere from fifty or seventy five percent to only fifty percent accurate. I mean, you have a fifty fifty shot. You only have two answers, so that that is concerning. So I said, okay, no problem. Take her to get another rapid and PCR, and let's give some, let's mount some evidence that it was a false positive, and get her back to school and back in the gym. Two negatives: we got a, got a rapid negative and a PCR negative. We finally get a hold of the school nurse on Tuesday, and the only thing I'm told is a positive is a positive. I'm like, cool. I also understand math. A negative is a negative. So what the fuck does that mean? What that means is that even though the CDC, and regardless of how people feel about this, they are the prevailing guidance that states are, are going with for the most part the cdc adjusted their guidance because we need people to be in the workforce the illinois department of public health also adjusted their guidance though not quite as much and did so t- again to ensure that the workforce stays so however it is not applying to students 
Students still, regardless of vaccination status, have to stay quarantined for 10 days from the onset of symptoms. And so we had to go from Lily felt a little rundown on Monday morning. She tested positive on, on the false positive on Monday night. So she cannot be back in the school building, cannot practice, cannot compete, cannot even go to class, and there is no remote option until this Friday. Uh, you know, that's illegal. They have to provide a remote option to, ch- to students who are quarantined? Nope. Well, Not in Illinois, they don't. Uh, I, could, I, could show you the I, Ill- I, would, I could show you the Illinois Department of uh, Education post from today if you'd like. I would love that because I have been fuming that my daughter at this point has now had – no, don't be wrong. She is excited to have an extended holiday vacation. Oh, of course she is. Because, as you know, Lily hates school. But it is so infuriating because she is now missing a meet as of this recording tomorrow. And because she does not have the practice time, and you know we are concerned for her safety, as is her gymnastics coach, she is missing a meet on Saturday. And if she does not get all the practice time in, which she should, though you never know because we've had a lot of other issues with this uh, particular series of events that's gone on with this gymnastics season, she could miss another meet next week. Because, again, she won't have the practice time in. And <laughs> how much longer is the season? Well, the season is technically through February, but there are, are you ready for this? Nine fucking meets in January. Wow. I mean, typically in a month for gymnastics, you're going to have five at the most. You're going to have one week where you're going to have two, and everything else is going to be either on Tuesday or Saturday. And absolutely insane. So let's go, Brandon. Stone, where are we I, going? I, I just sent you a letter, which you can review later, which I think it says – that if uh, that students that are quarantined have to be provided remote education, but y- you can look at that later. Uh, I thought that was the policy: is that if kids have to be quarantined, they have to provide a remote option or something. I don't know. We we've been we've been asking, and I've gotten nothing. Hmm. Uh, Cooper's Hawk is uh, <laughs> oh boy. Cooper's Hawk is bullshit. Cooper's Hawk is fake news. And Cooper's Hawk can suck my dick. Uh, and I'm I was actually like I went to the first Cooper's Hawk. We kind of like found it. On a happenstance, my wife and I uh, currently reside in Willowbrook, which is very close to Burr Ridge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we first got married, didn't have kids. You just kind of drive around and find places to go eat because, you know, you don't have kids and you've got extra money and extra time. Yeah, exactly. So we found this place in the downtown Burr Ridge area, Cooper's Hawk, which it's got its own winery. It's probably the only really good winery, at least in the Chicago yeah, I mean, area. I mean, there's there's one by us. Like, it's a nice little spot. Oh, yeah, and that's that's within – We've probably been going there for 15 years since we got married. And mm-hmm. since that time, that was the first location. Now they have like 10 or 15 locations. Yeah. Um, we, I think reasonably priced food, good wine, not like, you know, superior wine, but like very good wine, affordable. Um, and if you didn't know, uh, in Chicago and Cook County, which is the county in which Chicago is, they are now requiring, uh, it, it depends on the place, but some adults, some Everyone over 12, some everyone over the age of five Mm -hmm. has to show a vaccine card in order to enter a venue, fitness center, sports venue, um, restaurants, many different places in Chicago. I don't believe the airport, however, which is pretty ironic. Super weird. Well, that's also a federal, that's a federal space. But but then if you, if you remember correctly at the start of all this, you had to present, uh, or you had, you had to be masked, and everything was in line with the city of Chicago because technically O'Hare Airport is part of the city of Chicago, even though it is outside of the city limits. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Cooper's Hawk has some restaurants in 
Cook County. Mm-hmm. However, the Burr Ridge one, I know, is I, – I, I shouldn't say I know. I'm fairly sure it's not in Cook County because I'm not in Cook County. I'm in DuPage County mm-hmm. where I live. Um, but all Cooper's Hawk locations are now requiring vaccines cards for children over the age of five. So a six-year-old kid who – Like my daughter yep. or my nine-year-old son. Cannot go to Cooper's Hawk with their parents. Unless they have a vaccine card, which I think is absolute bullshit. In what direction can you go, San Diego? You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's move on to our hot topic. Uh, the WRPF, the World Raw Powerlifting Federation, mm-hmm. which for some odd reason also offers and equipped a powerlifting. Full, a fully multiplied division. A fully yeah. multiplied division, which I don't get, sure, but sure, whatever. Sure, no um, they have announced the Professional Powerlifting Championships, the PPC. Mm-hmm. And I, they did a version of it last year, and it sounds like they're doing it again this year. They've given a lot of prize money, something in the – $30,000 they gave out last year. Yeah, I mean, between um, the U.S. Open and I mean, they, mm-hmm. they put, put out some pretty serious They cash. announced right at the beginning of this year that the Ghost Clash, which is in February, is a, quote, required meet for this series, the mm-hmm. Professional Powerlifting Championships. And that gives lifters only seven weeks' notice if they want to be part of this entire series. And, I mean, I read through the post on the WRPF and the, the Ghost Clash uh, promoter's Instagram, at least to me, it wasn't exactly clear how all that worked. And I don't even know if they've worked it out yet. But apparently there's three meets on the schedule. There's, quote, salary-type cash prizes for the winners Mm -hmm. who go through this entire series of meets. Uh, Joe Sullivan, uh, a very, we'll say, well-known lifter online, had a long video criticizing it and how it's not uh, in line with with lifter safety to just require them kind of out of the blue Mm -hmm. on six, seven weeks' notice to do a meet. Uh, by the way, the meet was also full, mm-hmm. so if you wanted to get into the meet... You're was, fucked. Uh, I think they did open up some extra spots, but technically the meet was full, maybe a few extra spots, but, uh, you know, uh, it seemed like it was kind of out of nowhere, and Joe Sullivan has now said he's throwing a support behind the USPA and actually sounds like he will be perhaps promoting his own meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts, Mr. Bate? Uh, so the... One of the hosts or the promoters of the I don't know the WRPF. It wasn't Tim Gristle who who owns Ghost Equipment, but uh, who's the other guy that, that Amber had mentioned when we interviewed her? Um, I don't know, but you know who I'm talking about though. Like the he, he basically runs the U.S. Open alongside Gracie. Are, you ta- are we talking about Kern? I believe so. Oh, okay, uh, pulled back the requirement. Oh, okay. A couple of days after that, uh, so so I do kind of wonder like was this a PR stunt? I, mm. I have to wonder. Uh, but an interesting take, a very hot take that one uh, former guest of ours, Daniel Tina Harrow, had regarding this, that sure, hear you about the lifter safety and prepping, blah, 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 but perhaps one should consider how one trains, how one diets and cuts, and perhaps some of the other supplementation one does, which was one of the big points that Danny made when deciding. Wasn't that one of the points that Joe Sullivan made? I didn't listen to all of Joe's. I, I don't particularly care for Joe, uh, so I prefer to listen to Danny. But da- Danny, was it was not a criticism. It was just be fucking ready. Seven weeks. I'll, he's like, I'll, I'll peak in seven weeks, no problem. Yeah, I think that's always Westside's philosophy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you know, max effort days the meat instead of doing other stuff. Exactly. I, I would prefer to have a longer prep than that, but, I mean, like, if, I, if you want to be a professional, you know, should you be able to get ready in seven weeks? No. I, I, to be fair, like most, quote, professional sports – have a season and an off-season. Correct. And it's very defined, and it's also well-known well in advance, mm-hmm. not like seven weeks' notice. It's like you know a year in advance. Right. And I, I mean, you know the NFL schedule 
like six to nine months out. To, for- to, to make it a requirement, that I, I de- definitely disagree with. I, I wonder if it would have made more sense to say, hey, like if you participate in this and you end up winning, there's like a $10,000 bonus for sweeping the – like whatever – I, I'm not sure. Yeah, how and, and I don't know that the details have been fully worked out either. Because I and I did it look for sound it. Like it. It didn't sound like they'd fully worked out all the details of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'll give credit to WRPF and Kern mm-hmm. for you know making this series of uh, of meets. Mm-hmm. I do think, like you said, six seven weeks is not enough notice. I think that you know all powerlifting organizations should be as forthcoming on scheduling and the process for qualifying for meets as they possibly can be. Mm-hmm. The more information you can give people, the better, in my opinion. And I think probably two-ish meets is probably about good per it, two, year. Two to three at the most. Because when you really think about it, like I, I was thinking about this from like a, like a fighting perspective, right? Think about fighters as they kind of come up. They, they are fighting opponents that it really varies in the skill level as they come up through the amateur and even it, the intro to the pro ranks. These are not going to be the best of the best. But as you get into the truly elite and where really everything is separated by, you know, it is a game of inches, right? They taper down to they're doing one, two fights a year, a fight every other year because of what it takes to ramp up for that and then also the toll it takes on your body. Well, that was my point. For, now, I'm not talking about everybody, but for the pros, for the tippy that's top. That's what I was saying. The, the right. pros are tippy top. Because right. once you get to that level, the, toll, the, the run-up and the toll it takes on your body is so incredible. You, it is not sustainable to do, you know, think about this when you're an amateur fighter. You're doing five, six, seven fights a year. When you're, you know, Mike Tyson in his prime was doing two fights a year at the most. Yeah, I mean, I know that COVID and, and a lot of other factors. COVID have gotten into it, but I kind of liked the original WPO format from 2020 mm-hmm. where it was a semifinals and a finals. Yep. And uh, the top 30 go to the semifinals yep. and the top 15 from the semifinals go to the finals. And then you also have a built-in, you know, basically substitutes exactly. from the semifinals. Exactly. I, I like that type of setup where it's semifinals, finals. And then if you'd like, even make make the top three from the previous year, get an automatic qualification yeah. to the finals the following year. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that, and I think the nice thing, too, is like, and this happened to be for 2020, and, and it it would have worked out, that folks, if they wanted to, could be, because the WPO was alongside WPC World Championships, so if you were prepping for WPC World and you had just missed the cut as a uh, for the semifinals, you potentially were still prepping for the same meet, and you could potentially be brought up for the WPO finals. Yeah, yeah. Don't know if that's always going to work out. I don't believe it will, but I think that was, that was a nice little touch. But to your point... It is nice to have that kind of built-in set of of, uh, of alternates. Yep. All right, Mr. Bain, let's move on to our Palooza throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. We're going to go all the way back to November 1995. No, no. Nobody was alive then. Uh, Mr. Bain, what were you doing in November 1995? Uh, I was in middle school. Uh, I had actually shattered my arm playing soccer. Uh, Nobody I was... cares about soccer. Uh, so I actually had to play indoor soccer with a foam, like, I, I, it looked like a club. It legitimately was this thing I slipped on that created a three-inch barrier between my cast and any person I may hit with it. Um, it. It was actually really nice for kind of blocking people off the ball. I really enjoyed that. But that was uh, that was very tough to play with because with the cast and then the foam piece, my arm had basically like a 15 or 18-pound like weight just hanging on it while I'm trying to run. Yikes. Yeah, so not not very fun. So if it, you'll never see me run, but if you, outside chance you do, I had this weird motion with my left arm that's kind of left over from that where I would mm. be used to, to uh, moving people off the ball. So, Storm, what were you doing? 
Uh, well, believe it or not, I was also in middle school and also playing, gasp, soccer. Nobody cares about soccer! Um, I was also playing basketball probably by that time Literally in November. Nobody cares about white people playing basketball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what's interesting about my middle school is that we started middle school at 9 o'clock. What? Yeah, our middle school did not start until 9 a.m. So like, How did you get done? Uh, 3.30. The fuck, man? Yeah, so... We uh, went 7.45 to 3.20. Yeah, so high school started at seven, high school, and it was all it's a unit district in Aurora, which means elementary school, middle school, high school, all same school district. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Aurora High School started 7.50, went to 2.50. I believe the elementary school was shorter. I think it was like maybe 8.15-ish. It may be, uh, yeah, I think it was like 8.15 to about 2.15, something like that. It was a shorter day. Mm-hmm. And then the middle school, I think this is all a busing schedule thing because yeah. they had to have staggered start times. The middle school started at 9 a.m. The interesting thing about that was now you, we didn't do this for soccer because it probably would have been maybe too dark or whatever. But for basketball, we actually did our practices in the morning before school. Oof. And so then after school, we were just done. And if we had a game, obviously we played. But uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of nice being done after school and being in a sport. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what was going on in the world in November 1995? The Chicago Bulls on November 3rd, 1995, won the first uh, won their first game um, in their historic 72-10 and 10 season. Um, I would say arguably the greatest team of all time. It, that's a very solid argument, I will say that. Um, I, did, I did mention to Dave Stone, my dad, mm-hmm. the Robert Bain – uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, this is uh, the suspension for suspension. Yeah, this was right after he got he got done with the suspension, suspension theory, mm-hmm. and he also did not believe it, but he well, thought it was interesting theory. It's not my fault that he's wrong. Uh, Princess Diana admitted that she cheated on Prince Charles on November twentieth in a TV interview. And what happened after that? Yeah, shocking. Yikes! Uh, Ireland voted to end a fifty-eight year old amendment on divorce. What? What was this? So it was. There was apparently an amendment mm-hmm. that I, I, I didn't look too much into it, but presumably banned divorce. Now, for those of you that don't know, Ireland is a very Catholic country. Yes. And the separation between Northern Ireland and Ireland, as I understand it, and if we have any Irish uh, listeners... I believe we do, actually. Uh, feel free to correct me on this. But my understanding is that uh, Ireland proper is Catholic... Northern Ireland is Protestant. essentially Protestant, maybe Church of England. I'm not sure. Church of England is, you know, kind of its own. Church of England is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, hot take. Uh, yeah. You, you ever want to hear, like, I learned everything I learned about Church of England from Eddie Izzard. If you've never listened to him or heard his comedy specials, his take on Church of England is well, one of the funniest things I've ever found. I mean, it was heard. essentially created so that the king could get a divorce. So he could get divorces and bang chicks and cut their heads off. Yikes. As, uh, as one does as king. Sure. So that, that happened in November wow. 1995. Wow. Uh, movies released. Goldeneye, the 17th James Bond film. One of my favorites, actually. And one of the top three best N64 games of all time. I still have my N64. Actually, we have two N64s for some Fuck reason. yeah. And we have Goldeneye. Do you guys have Super Smash Brothers, too? Of course. My man. Yeah. Um, and Toy Story was released mm-hmm. in November 1995. Also nice. a solid movie. Very nice. The top TV shows from the fall. Of 1995, ER, er. Seinfeld, dumb, Friends, dumb, Caroline in the City, never heard of it, Monday Night Football. Woo. So of those shows, obviously I've watched Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. I definitely like Seinfeld, Friends, ER, eh, Caroline in the City. I've literally never even heard of it. I, I never have. My mom loved ER. 
like absolutely like George Clooney. Who's who's the other the tall guy that lost his hair quick with the glasses? I I know who you're talking about, but I don't know the actor. Anthony name. Edwards. Uh, I would never. Yeah, listen. she she loved her some ER. Like literally, everybody had to clear the living room. She's like, she would tell my dad, "Don't fucking talk to me. Don't say anything. Like, don't even look at me. I'm watching ER." I'm like, damn, mom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, on the cover was uh, various pictures from. The greatest bench press in America meet, hmm. which was promoted by one John Enzer, September 16th, 1995, in Dallas, Texas. Hmm. And on the cover, uh, there's various was, pictures. Was it promoted by John Enzer or his mullet? <laughs> I think his, I think the deadlift was, was uh, promoted by his mullet. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Kenny Patterson had a so Kenny Patterson from Westside Barbell <laughs> had a 716-pound bench mm-hmm. at 275. Anthony Clark benched 750, I'm presuming at uh, super heavyweight. Mm-hmm. John Enzer did a 780-pound deadlift wow. at 165. Wow. Jesse Kellum did a 602 bench at 198. Greg War did a 550 bench at 165. And all, and all of them, and I'm presuming maybe a card girl, mm-hmm. were all on the cover of Powerlifting USA. Um, this was apparently an unsanctioned quote, show-type meet. Okay. And in reading through the rules, it seems like there was no press command. There was only a rack, but there were USPF, IPF judges, according to the article, by one Mike Lambert, mm-hmm. editor-in-chief, Powerlifting USA. This was held in the Majestic Theater in Dallas, and this was, you know, definitely like a show-type meet. I mean, there was... I mean, you can see on the picture there, there was smoke, there was loud music, there yeah. were lights, there was a giant banner. Um, I mean, there just... You know, definitely like a I'm big, wondering if that's the picture from the John Inzer video that we've posted before. It's very possible. It very is very much possible. Um, John Inzer was the only deadlifter there. Imagine um, that. It was a bench meet, the greatest bench press in America. There was also a squat exhibition by Shane Hammond, who would later go on to do uh, compete in Olympic lifting, and he did a thousand pound deadlift. Um, but John Inzer was the only deadlifter, and he did 780 at 165, which at the time was an all-time world record. And looking up on open powerlifting, which it's hard with all the different variables, um, the lift is still, I believe, a top five all-time deadlift. Wow. At 165. It's amazing. According to Ernie Franz's account, which I heard many times about, mm-hmm. um, this was like after the bench meet or maybe an intermission or something. Mm-hmm. Like they brought, like they were a, a completely different set of weights for Enzer. They brought in the weights. He did his deadlifts. There was all kinds of smoke and all kinds of stuff. And then as soon as he was done, they took the weights away and they were gone. What the fuck? And uh, so the inference by Ernie Franz was that the weights maybe weren't 100% uh, calibrated, we'll say. Uh-huh. Um, he only did two attempts. He did 700 and 780. Were, the, were these Castleberry cast uh, weights? I don't know. Now, uh, of note is that at the time, Ernie was being sued by John Enzer. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a long episode on that. I highly he, recommend you listen He was to that. being sued by Enzer for like 15, 20 years on and off. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely some bad blood there. Uh, so take Ernie's comments with a grain of salt. Um, but that is the story I heard from Ernie Franz. Um, and also to note, in the last four years of Enzer's powerlifting career, he only did unsanctioned meets that he promoted. Hmm. And they were all like these like greatest deadlifter in America, greatest bench press in America, you know, Deadlifts, deadlift. They were all these kind of like show yeah. bench, deadlift, bench, deadlift meets. Um, John Enzer had done a 749 deadlift in an unsanctioned meet he did in 92, which is the, the last previous meet he'd done. So three years prior to this. Um, 
his uh, best meet and his best deadlift in a sanctioned meet was 711 at APF Seniors in 1988. Wow. So we're talking about seven years prior. So it's not like, especially if he focused like solely on the deadlift for seven years, it's not like outlandish that he oh. could move his deadlift up 70 pounds. Exactly. Um, that was the last full meet that John Enzer did, at least according to Open Powerlifting. That was 88 Seniors, where he won. It's just a website. Enzer doesn't know everything. <laughs> and he did 1,802-pound total. At 165 with a 744 de- squat, a 347 bench, and a 711 deadlift. And, again, of note is that he missed a 738 deadlift. That was actually his only missed lift of that meet. Wow. Um, so just interesting. I'm not saying I believe Ernie, and I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's certainly – You're not saying. You're just saying. Yeah, it's certainly plausible. Like, I, I guess, like, if you're going to fake it, why not do 800 Right, exactly. Like, why only do 780? And he only took two attempts. Like, if you're going to use fake weights and set a fake all-time world record, like, you know, why not just set it up, set it to the moon and do 800 or 850 or something? I don't know. Because um, nobody would believe a 165 or 800, maybe. Well, I mean, but someone has since. But yeah, sure. I, I guess at that time. I mean, but there's only 20 pounds. I, I mean, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Tim Isaac, who uh, famously it was claimed by Sports Illustrated. We talked about this in a previous episode mm-hmm. where I went off on a whole tangent on the first Anner Pound bench. Um, it was claimed by Sports Illustrated that Tim Isaac was the first man to bench um, 802 in 1999. Actually, I think uh, WPO owner Deanna D'Andrea talked about yep. I think she talked about Tim Isaac in our interview. She talked about training with him or training with somebody that trained with him. I believe. Because po- <sighs> he was for the, this supposedly was a meet in, in Arizona. Yeah, um, I, would, I would have to go back. This 99-802 bench. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and again, this is back in '95, so it's four years prior. But he bombed with two attempts at 7:12. Gotcha. And uh, according to Open Powerlifting, his best bench was like 670. Okay. So 670 to 800 is a pretty big it's a jump. Pretty, yeah. Maybe it was a band shirt. Who knows? <laughs> no, there was no band shirts. Only denim shirts at that point, and canvas band shirts. Um, that of you're note, aware of. Of note uh, is that J.M. Bake Blakely mm-hmm. of Westside Barbell did a. Six seventy pound bench at two seventy five. George Halbert, also of West High Barbell, did a six fifty pound bench at two sixty five. Nice. There was a message from the U.S. the then USPF president Peter Thorne, and we know that he would soon not be the mm-hmm. USPS president, um, leading into the ninety seven voting out of the IPF. Something, something, something. Dark side. Um, he promoted the Enzer bench meets and similar meets where they had various lifters of various federations competing, mm-hmm. and he listed all the lifters that had passed drug tests in the recent year, including Wood Ed Cohn. Mm-hmm. Got to make sure you tell them. And Kurt Kurowski of note. Interesting. Uh, and that, uh, I mean, hey, I don't know what anybody did, but uh, it, it certainly wouldn't have surprised me that Kurt Kurowski could have possibly used some extra supplements. Creatine? Uh, there was a big article on Jim Williams. I mean, we could almost do an entire Palooza throwback slash, like, a- at least that or an, maybe an entire episode because mm-hmm. it's a whole long. It's like five pages by wow. Herb Glossbrenner in an interview. Um, very interesting stuff. He did a 675 raw bench back at 1972 AAU Worlds. Wow. And of note is that at that point, we're not talking about very good bars, mm-hmm. and the benches were like, 
narrow. Like, I'm looking at these. Like, they're not big. Like, 10 inches wide narrow. Like, super narrow. Um, And and there were some of them were like... So what you're saying is 10 inches isn't that big. (laughs) Uh, And it was the type of benches where, like, the uprights were inside your hands. Yeah. Like, these... Yeah. Like, I'm not necessarily on this picture, but uh, they're, they're prison benches. Yeah. And... Ironically, Jim Williams spent some time in prison. Oh. Uh, I did not exactly say how, but, uh, you know, it was a long he, article. He so didn't I, get paroled for a day because he murdered somebody to go and lift it in the Yeah, not like in the USAPL Jesus. or ADFPA back in the 90s. Um, he had, Gold standard. He had a 22-25 total. Um, so he was a, mostly a big bencher, but he did have an 825 squat, a 725 deadlift. That's a pretty solid total, man. Yeah. Especially raw. And, and in 1972. Right. Uh, he also did a 660-pound bench at 1971 AAU Worlds. Mm-hmm. And of note, Herb said he talked to Bob Packard, who's actually back as the APF Northern California State mm-hmm. Chair. Uh, he's been running meets for literally 50 years plus. Um, Herb said he, you know, he talked to Bob Packard on the on the history of some of those early meets, and apparently the 1971 and 1972 Worlds, which, at least according to Herb and Bob, were the first two World Championships, were thrown out in 1973 when the IPF was was formed. Hmm. Um, The first two were sanctioned under the AAU, and it was probably mostly a U.S. affair. Sure. Probably the British lifters were invited. Um, One of the reasons given why the uh, all the records were thrown out when the IPF started was that apparently elbow wraps were allowed in 1972. What the fuck? Um, now, again, there's probably like ace bandage elbow wraps, but just interesting that, oh, raw is the history of this sport. Meanwhile, the second worlds, they literally were wearing elbow wraps. Because so, let's be very real here for everybody that listens that is a raw zealot, which I, I doubt we have hardcore raw zealots to listen to us. No. But you all know some. Every single person that we talk about that lifted in the 60s, 70s, the 80s, every one of them was looking for an edge. And they looked at for it in their gear, in their belt, in the bars. That's why all these advancements came. Because every single one of them was like, yes, I want to be stronger, but let's do everything I can short of mechanizing my body to, to lift as much weight as possible. That is how the sport evolved. The biggest reason why we've made this jump to Raw is, yes, it is CrossFit, and it is because people don't know how to work as a team, and they want to be by them fucking selves. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, right they also, when the IPF started, they voted to follow the, quote, USA sequence mm-hmm. of powerlifting, which was what we have now, squat, bench, deadlift, as opposed to what some meets, and I believe in Britain, and any British lifters, if you have any historical context, apparently at that point it was bench, squat, deadlift. Interesting. I think that was the case in some U.S. meets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. I, I you know, there is a history of powerlifting, series of articles in Powerlifting USA that I think we touched on um, that maybe we'll have to, to go back to and go through those two, three months of articles, and it'll talk about a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, a, again, it was a long article. Um, you know, Jim spent some time in prison. He came from fairly humble beginnings, um, very strong guy, and didn't really have a very long run in the sport. Uh, we had the top 132-148 USA all-time list uh, put together by one Herb Glassbrenner. Mm-hmm. So top of the squat, we're going to start with the one, 132s. We've got Mariah Liggett um, with a 1173-pound total um, of notes down about six, seven lifters. Diane Franz is in there. Um, and let's see if we have anybody else that is of note. Hmm... 
I would assume no, just based on, on the scale. Yeah, I don't know a lot of these lifters on here. Diane France is the one that I definitely know. She's probably right. like six or seven. Um, and Mariah Liggett, uh, her total was done, and this is again at 132 female, uh, 457 squat, a 253 bench, and a 463 deadlift done in 1991. And long, long time lifter. Uh, 148, top there is a 1280 total by R. Schaefer, who did a 510 squat, 225 bench, a 545 deadlift. And again, I've noticed that you've got Mariah Leggett, who is number two on the 148 with a 1256 total. Um, other lifters we might know, we've got uh, uh, Stephanie Vanderwiggy uh, with an 1173 total. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy Dangerfield, uh, local uh, judge and lifter Terry Dangerfield, who used to be out of St. Charles, had a gym out there, him and his wife, and then I think they moved to Michigan to uh, raise dogs, um, was of British descent. She's as, got, as one does. She's an 1140-pound uh, total. We've got Diane Franz again down at more like the 18, 20, somewhere in that range mm-hmm. with an 1102-pound total. Hmm. That is probably all that I know from that top 50 list. But Mariah Liggett, definitely a, a very famous lifter, um, and she would continue lifting for a number more years. Um, for some reason, Dr. Judd has an, and it might be the same article. Dude, what, what is going on here? Uh, so Dr. Judd, another article titled older women, younger men, a male's point of view. And I was like, when I started reading this, I'm like, what the fuck am I, am I doing a Palooza that we've already covered before? Cause I specifically <laughs> remember this article. And so I did a search on her notes and sure enough, we covered this from a May, 2006 article I'm not sure if just like Powerlifting USA republished it in 2006 um, or if this that was a separate article. I really didn't read the article because I don't give a shit what Dr. Judd says about <laughs> dating older women. Uh, but why the fuck does he have this weird obsession with dating older women? I, mean, I assume he dates older women or was dating an older woman. I don't I mean, know. Can't can relate, right? <laughs> yeah. I am married to a woman who's four years older. I don't know if I consider her, quote, an older woman, but just very weird. And... At some point, we should have uh, the Internet's most infamous powerlifter, Billy Mimna, on the podcast, who fucking loathes Dr. Judd. Oh, I'd love to hear this. And, I mean, he would go on long rants on Go Heavy and Outlaw Powerlifting message boards, just ripping Dr. Judd to shreds literally every month. I bet bet Billy would come on. Yeah, He would be a very interesting talk. He's been around the sport a long time. Um, Bill, he's, Billy said nice things about me at the WPO. He's uh, very, uh, very open on his drug usage. Perfect. I don't think he would be uh, – I don't be talking out of turn to say that. We'll just leave it at that for now until he but, would talk for himself. So his extra supplementation. Yeah, extra supplementation. Perfect. <laughs> um, we have an article by one Louis Simmons of Westside Barbell, mm-hmm. and he's got uh, – the article is titled Percent Training. What is it really? Part 1 by Louis Simmons. And he has a chart, um, and it's number of reps for percent training. And he talks about how they use 55 to 60% for speed work. Um, he talks about how if you go too many weeks in a row with 90%, that you will you know, start to regress. Mm-hmm. And that's why at this time, they did max effort exercises every three to four weeks. Um, obviously, that changed, I think, then every three weeks, every two weeks, and now just every week. They're changing max effort exercises, but um, the number of reps for percent training, 
um, 55 to 65%. He recommends three to six reps per set and 24 reps total. I, and I believe he probably stole that right from Prelopin's chart where it's kind mm-hmm. of the rule of 24 where, you know, it's three sets. Of, you know, it's usually for speed work at Westside. It's, you know, eight sets of three. Three sets of six or, or four sets of six or uh, five sets of five, whatever. Yeah, five sets of five sometimes, or, uh, you know, Anthony Oliveira is big with 12 sets of two, um, 10, you know, sometimes maybe like, uh, yeah, very, I mean. You, Tw- 24 sickles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you could do that. I mean, sure, rule of 24, 70-75%, um, still stick with three to six reps per set, but keep the total reps to 18, mm-hmm. 80 to 85%, which Westside really doesn't do that much, um, reps per set two to four. 15 reps total and over 90% reps per set one to two, keep the total reps to seven. Yeah. So if you're talking in your max effort terms, uh, you know, somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of about two to four sets, probably in that mm-hmm. one to two rep range. So interesting stuff. Um, obviously the West side, you know, conjugate method would definitely evolve over the next West side you know, method, definitely over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the top 100, 165s. From September 94 to August 95, top of the list was Jay Perez with a six or seven 65-pound squat. Ricky Del Crane, 716 at number two. Angelo Bernadelli with a also a 716-pound squat. Dan Austin, 675. Dave Ricks, longtime USAPL lifter, mm-hmm. 672. Still, still lifting. Um, other lifters, I would know Tony Conyers, 650 bench at number nine. Mm, not sure if I, I mean, I could look all the way down, but that's, uh, that's the ones we see at the very top. Greg War, who we talked about, uh, who's on the cover, um, at least in this issue at 165, he had a 534 pound squat and he's way ahead of everybody else. Wow. The next high squat is 475 by T Setterfield. Hmm. Angelo Bernadetti is also on there at number six with 440. Eh, Dave Ricks is down at number 12. Tony Conyers, number 13, both with 418. Deadlift, Dave Ricks, the top of the deadlift with 688. Wow. Um, Ricky Crane, 650 at number six. Top of the total with that big deadlift is Dave Ricks, 1780. Angelo Bernadelli, number two with 1769 Ricky Crane number 3 with 1763 Dan Austin 1710 at number 4 and Jay oh Rosha Golan gosh it's really hard to read because it's you know it is a yeah very tiny and it's, it's very a tiny print and it's a copy of a copy with uh 1692 Tony Conyers down at number 7 with 1665 uh, that's about all the lifters that I would know on there, at least. Um, and we also had an advertisement for the Franz Canvas Squat Suit. At this time, it was only $80 wow. in 1995. <sighs> would, buy a, would buy a squat suit for that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think when I bought one from Ernie or when, when I was going to Franz Gym, it was 190 at the time, Wow, I believe. Um, and that was early 2000s. Crazy. Uh, Mr. Bain, let's jump right into our Ask Us anything um we've got a good number of questions here not an incredible amount but uh uh some are for me some are for you some are for both of us yeah 
Uh, we're going to start with at Adam dot Wojanicki sixty four. Uh, local lifter. So you want, you want me to ask this one? Or? Sure. So For Mr. Stone, since you've been a meat director for a very long time, he's a nice way of saying you're old, what is the... He cra- actually said very, very long yeah. time. Yeah. What is the craziest things you've witnessed? And I also have one to add to this where you were not the meat director, but go ahead. Um, and to be fair, I wasn't a meat director at all these meats I'm talking about here. Okay. Um, but just being around, um, I saw a broken arm at a meet that Bill Carpenter ran. Um, I believe it was Mike Brown when he was coming up. Uh, the lifter we talked about a couple mm-hmm. times who then died very, fairly young. Mm-hmm. Um, his forearm was at like a 90-degree angle bent backwards. Jesus. When it broke, it's. I, I honestly thought – I think I was judging. Mm-hmm. I thought his shirt ripped. Like, and I don't – have you ever heard a shirt – a bench shirt rip? Uh, no, but I've heard someone's humorous snap, and I've heard I've heard a lot of nasty injuries. Yeah, I mean, it, it, back in the day, it was very very common for shirts to blow. Like it just yeah, it, it would happen at every meet at least once or twice, and especially the denim shirts. Um, you know that's why everyone was wetting them, wetting the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very common for shirts to blow. I shouldn't say very common. It was much more common than now. Like it was, it was not uncommon. Like least. now, like we saw, uh, who's the lifter from Ohio that using the Enzer Bolt? Um, 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 who um, did um, the miss equipped open because he bombed at the WPO? Yeah, uh, he won best lifter. Joseph, Joseph Lindsay. Joseph Lindsay. Yes, yep. just just edged you out for best lifter, Mister Bain. Yeah, thanks for reminder, asshole. I mean, he's a really good lifter. He, so. he is. I mean, to, to lose to him, like I'm not upset. Yeah, he's a very good lifter. Yeah. But at the WPO, his, his shirt blew. His shirt blew. His enter bolt blew. Yep. And, like, that wasn't quite the sound we used to hear. But when uh, I saw the forearm being broken, that's the sound. It was like a sound of ripping. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill Carpenter turned, like, green. And he's like, what do we do? I'm like, you call 911 right yep. now. Um, yep, been there. <laughs> yeah, Bill Carpenter, I think, went and threw up somewhere. So, um, so to, to add to that, so what well, – was one of the cooler stories the Midwest equipped was uh, Sofina, one of the lady uh, competitors. The last time she had competed was at the Arnold 2020, where she snapped her humerus. Ugh. So there, there's a picture of me, because I'm the side spotter, where she snapped. And I, same thing, I thought that she had dislocated her shoulder, which, like, okay, that happens. And then when she actually picked her arm up and I saw it at the shoulder was bent, and then in the middle between the shoulder and, and elbow was also bent. So her humerus broke, not her yes, forearm. Correct. So what I saw was an saw, ul- yeah. I saw an ulnar radius break. Yeah. So forearm. Very, very similar to uh, to Chanel, Nolay, and a couple others that uh, I know. We, well, we've talked to you necessarily on the show, but I know Chanel did something very similar. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I saw a broken stall door at a meet I did at Velocity. Um, literally, just the stall door was broken. I. <laughs> Someone just ripped it off. What the fuck? The only thing I could figure out is maybe someone was using it to get in their suit or someone was angry. And the sad part was at Velocity, one of the negative plates, uh, parts about that facility is that we had like little mini locker rooms, bathrooms, but there was only one stall Yikes. in the men's bathroom, which usually meant it was going to get destroyed. Yep. Um, and uh, afterwards, you remember Justin Seepy used to lift with us. Mm-hmm. So we did eventually get the stall to our fix, but it wasn't fixed immediately. So CP at the time was big into the pre-workouts, mm-hmm. super pump, super dump. Yep. yep. Um, and so you kind of just had the stall door like leaning against the leaning against like the opening. That's not gonna and work out. Nick Detman would come in and just like you know start to start to peek into the stall door. <laughs> what an asshole! And really just you know <laughs> fuck with CP. Yeah. Um, uh, a famous deadlifter who I. I'm not going to name, but yep. I, I believe just passed away. Since he passed away, I'm not going to name him, yep. but you could probably figure out what I'm talking about. He had a GoFundMe page set up for a local meet, 
and uh, got ripped to shreds on the internet. Mm -hmm. And one Sean Coplin literally came up to him at the Illinois State meet and threw change at him. (laughs) Uh, So Sean's involved in the one that I always think of, and it's at the 20, I want to say 2016 Illinois State meet. Because it was the first one. So after I started competing, it was the first state meet I didn't compete in. Eric was competing. It was out in Sycamore. Yeah, that might have been even 2014 or 2015. No, because I, I competed those two. Oh, okay. Yep. So, so I, I know I was with that crew from Waukegan already uh, that now is the Wolfpack. And, or always Wolfpack Barbell, I should say. And another individual, I won't name this person either. Uh, he and Sean didn't get into it on the line. He and Sean got Shocking. into it. Shocking. Yeah. He and Sean got into it in person. And long story short, Sean, Sean spat on him. He I, comes, I, don't, I don't know that Sean did spit on him. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did. At, at least there was spittle that hit him from Sean. Yeah, I don't think Sean, like, hocked a loogie on him, though. No, no, I, no, I think Sean, like, talked very vociferously in his face. Either way, this dude calls the cops and then approaches Eric and says, you're the state chairman, what are you going to do about this? And Eric's response is, the fuck do you want me to do? Well, so I'm competing. I went, yeah, and so I went and talked to Sean just because I'm like, all right, I guess I'll find out what happened. And I was like, so what happened, Sean? He's like, nothing. He's like, he talked shit to me online. and I he, rolled up on him. He talked shit to me in person, and that was it. Yeah. I'm, it like, was- I'm like, okay. And then the cops literally came and took a report from me. Oh, my God. And I'm like, <laughs> God, I feel bad for you guys having to write this fucking report. And they, dude, they, they were like, it was funny watching them because I could see the guys he's writing, and I could just see his eyes rolling like, what? Because I think if there's a call, you have to go. Yeah, you, you do. Have, they do have to go, but it's, it was... It, well, and by the way, Dick Zenden, the meat director, was a retired DeKalb cop. Right. And probably knows every cop in the area. Um, what's the guy who used to lift with Zenden and then lift with Callis and crew? Um, younger guy. Oh, gosh, I can't. I can picture his face. can't think of his name. I know I, uh, he was there competing as well and said, you know, he talked to the cops and they were very annoyed. Yeah, they, they were. That, was, that one was funny. Uh, this one also for Eric, so I'll go ahead and ask this one. <clears throat> I know how big of a historian Eric is, so I have a historical question. In one meet, on the same day, has anyone ever done three attempts raw, three attempts single ply, and three attempts multiply for a total of nine attempts? Um, I would say the answer is probably no. Um, I do know local guy Jim Briggs because he wanted to do single ply, raw, and multiply in one meet. Mm -hmm. And at 2015 AAPF Nationals, I believe we put him in two separate flights because he like, can I do all three? And I'm like, well, there's only, I think we only had like two flights of ventures. Right. And I'm like, so I can put you in two flights. And so I think he did like his opener raw. Mm -hmm. I think, I can't remember exactly the sequence. It might have been two attempts at each. Mm -hmm. He definitely did. He did all three. Wow. And like, I think he might have done two attempts raw. Then his third attempt, he switched in flight in his in the first flight, mm-hmm. he switched over to single ply mm-hmm. and then maybe did single ply in his first attempt in the second flight. I'm not sure. Or he might have done one raw, two single ply. Because I know that, like, when I looked at the results, it was interesting. He missed one lift single ply and then came back and got that multiply. Oh, my God. So, wow. He did do all three in one meet. That's, um, he that's did raw. Unique. He did single ply. And we've had people do crossing over all three but they lifted raw and just counted for all three right right but as far as taking nine attempts i don't believe i know anybody who's done that but jim Briggs would be the closest and he did do six attempts the exact you know 
I, the results aren't even super clear, and I yeah. couldn't find the results on my computer. Well, look, if there's a big enough, like, I would say it has to be a local meet, but there's a big enough local meet where you have three flights of, say, bench as an example. Like, you in theory could do that. You'd have to have three flights of bench only, which is kind of atypical in the current era. Right. Like, back in the Bill Carpenter APF Iowa days, you used to get, like, two flights of full power and three or four flights of bench only because bench only was so big. Yeah. Um, but that's not typical now. So, no, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that, but Jim Briggs, local guy, uh, would be the closest. Um, I'll go ahead and ask this one, Mr. Bain. Yep. At Big Power Lifter, <laughs> if you could wear knee wraps on only one knee, which knee would it be? The middle one. Yikes. <laughs> what uh, about you? Uh, I guess I would go with right knee since I had some injury to that right knee, and I'd probably <laughs> just go with a light wrap above and below the patella. And we all know I don't wrap the middle ones anyway. Um. <laughs> Sorry. At Wisconsin, best single ply bencher. Best and worst meat performance of each and best and worst meat you've competed went to. So, uh, so I'm thinking that's our individual best. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think Got so. it. Um, my worst is easy. It, when I went out to Colorado Springs to the Olympic Training Center and I bombed out. Yikes. And, you know, my dad at the time had flown me out there. I, I kind of wanted to quit football anyways, but I used that as the, as the excuse to quit football at the mm-hmm. time because I was having hip issues. I probably wasn't going to be the starter, and it's like – why am I still putting my, myself through this? So I'm like, hey, I got this invite to this really cool meet at the Olympic Training Center um, and went and bombed. And, uh, you know, hey, it's not, if you bomb, it's on you. Like, yep. I should have got my squats deeper. Yep. But I got red-lighted from the, from the head judge on my third squat. Yikes. And I got a red light from the side, which was Ricky Crane's dad at the time, who I literally don't think threw a white light the entire fucking meet. Um. I mean, I was helping Brandon Cass later in the day, and Brandon Cass usually does not have issues with depth, and he got red lights all three times from Ricky Crane's dad. He wow. was just throwing reds. I, I barely saw him throw white. Wow. Um, actually, Steve Dennison, who was then with the USPF and now is head, the, of the head of the USPA, was the other side judge, gave me a white. Wow. Um, and it was, I think, an IPF judge who was the head judge female. I was wearing a Franz shirt, not my wisest choice at an AAU meet. Probably, yeah. Um, that was my worst meet. Um, my best meet, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the year. Uh, it was somewhere in the 05 to 07 range, A to PC Worlds, where I totaled 1650. Um, I think that's when I squatted 727. Ironically, I think I lost that meet to a Russian. Mm-hmm. And I set the world record with that 727. And then literally the next attempt, the Russian came up and dunked like you know, 740 Jeez. and took the record immediately from me. So I had the record for like 30 seconds. Nice. Um, that was probably my best meets. I'll, I'll let you do your meets and then I'll come back and best worst meets I've been to. Yeah. Uh, worst meet for me was probably my first worlds, 2017 worlds. Uh, I did a pretty, I would say drastic weight cut, but I, I cut weight when I really should not have. Uh, Cause I just didn't, didn't know what I didn't know. And, uh, didn't have a great performance, didn't do well. It, I remember my opening deadlift, I basically backflipped off the bar because I just was not set up. I was lightheaded. Everything was – was Where was this? Good. This was here. Uh, 20, 2017 Worlds in uh, – in, uh, Oh, in Lyle. In Lyle, yeah. So, oh, where Kali uh, uh, called you Bobby Bain. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he learned he should not call me that. So that was probably my worst uh, performance. Uh, best 
from a numbers perspective, it would be 2018 Nationals. So it was a great way to come back. The very next meet was was 2018 Nationals. Uh, biggest raw total I ever had. Uh, I believe I went seven for nine. Um, so, yeah, so that's probably the best uh, from a, a raw perspective. And then uh, multiply, you know, best and worst was uh, the Mendoza quit open as far as ones I've I've performed at. Uh, best you've either compete or uh, best you've been to or best or worst meet you've competed at. Wow, there's there's a lot here. Mm-hmm. Um, from a production standpoint and audience viewing standpoint, when my wife and I went to the WPO finals at the Arnold Classic, uh, gosh, what year was that? Because we got married in 06. So I guess that would have been 2005, mm-hmm. kind of right at the end. From at that time, especially from a production standpoint, from like a quality of lifting standpoint, I mean, there were like a few thousand people. There were like two thousand fans. That's there, awesome. Yes. Um, that was probably the best meet I'd been to. Um, as far as competed at, gosh, um, you know, a lot of the just the APF National World meets I've been to, especially that Amy Jackson organizes, have always been you know really excellent. Um, I will say that like Gary Frank, the meets I've been to of his have always been really well organized. I didn't compete at uh, 2016 WPC Worlds in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but I was there coaching for like six days. He had a gigantic like 10-foot platform. Wow. And like the biggest banner you've ever seen in your entire life. I don't know. We had a pretty big one right here. Bigger than that. Holy shit. Like wider and like quadruple the height. Wow. Like the biggest banner you've ever seen in your life. Wider and longer? Wow. Oh, I mean, I thought there was like a curtain between the front and the back. No, it's just the banner. Jesus. So that's how big the banner and platform were. Um, just from a production standpoint, you know, just an excellent job from that mm-hmm. perspective. Um, you know, I will say that WPO meets that, you know, I, I, I didn't run, but we helped with mm-hmm. the 2019 WPO at, yep. at, uh, Pheasant, at Run. Pheasant Run in St. Charles. Um, that was definitely one of the best meets I've been to as far as like, quality of lifting production value i mean one of the best live streams i've still ever seen you know mm-hmm. as far as announcing and camera i mean obviously I had espn there yep um gosh worse meets um there was a gold cup meet what we could talk to jen gimmel about um she went and did bench only at that meet you know it was a guy that ran a gym um in the south suburbs he claimed he'd run meets before and he right. wanted to start running meets again and at the time, I was kind of in the mindset of, like, finding other people to run meets because, like, my job didn't allow me to run meets. And he said he had a computer guy that was going to do the scoring. We didn't have the current program at that point. It's basically just a, mm. uh, an Excel program. Right. Um, and so this guy was not a computer person. He barely knew how to work, work a computer. Yikes. And at the end of the meet, they hadn't entered any of, like, anybody's, like, information. So, like, oh, you, can't, you can't score – unless you have people's divisions. And at the end, I think they just did it all by hand. I know John Smoker was there doing the awards, and he's like, if they would have told me I could have scored this whole meet by hand in the time they've been sitting there fidgeting with the computer, um, they didn't feed the judges. They didn't pay the judges. Mary Sternberg, who I brought out to announce, they didn't have a, a speaker system for her. And at one point, she, she, had just, to go, she had to go Bane style and just yell. She just walked out. She's just like, I'm done at the end of the meet. And I was lifting in that meet. Jeez. Um, I... Had uh, well, that was one of my attempts. I think I attempted 740 at that meet and missed it. Um, one of my high squat attempts. Um, I came up with 733 mm-hmm. at 08 APF Nationals and got called on depth. And I think that would have been uh, maybe 
0809, I can't remember the gold cup meet. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys that put together my monolift that I brought up for the warm-up room, mm-hmm. um, they stripped the bolts, and Detman and Jason Visney were literally, like, hanging on two, like, uh, wrenches on the side. And this guy came up and was like, I-, I-, I think the bolts might be stripped. And they're like, you think? So we had to literally leave the monolith there and come back later with, like, a blowtorch Jesus. to get the bolts off. Um, yeah, didn't pay the judges, didn't feed the judges. I actually took over announcing at the end of the meet because Maris walked away literally while I was lifting. Wow. So at one – and I didn't have – no speaker, no, no, no microphone, no sound system. So I'm literally just yelling. And I'm like, Eric's – and no loading charts. Like, we had to do it all by hand. It just – what total, a shit show. Totally. It was a total. It was going to like 6, 30, 7 o'clock at night. Fuck all that. Total shit show. Um, spotters were totally incompetent. Um, I was like, it was like Eric Stone is up with, with you know, uh, a 500-pound deadlift. And they went and loaded the bar. I went and did my deadlift, sat down, and said, good lift or no lift for Eric. That was literally when I was deadlifting. Um, wow. Hmm. Trying to think of another meet that I've been to that was a total shit show. Um Hmm. That's the one that always immediately comes. Oh, here's another meet that I helped with, um, a former boss of mine. And the meet ended up being fine. Um, This was a meet down in Charleston, Illinois. There was, I think, eight, nine, maybe ten lifters total. Um, All but one of them were from Team Stone. Wow. And the other lifter was from the Chicago area. He was one of Marocher's lifters, a bench-only guy. And we brought down the monolift. We brought down the kilo plates. Um the guy who ran it, quote-unquote, brought the bench in, and we ran it at his church gym. We literally should have just run it, like, at the corner of Velocity Sports at the time and paid the sanction fee because I think we provided the judges. Um, he had, like, one spotter, so we, like, provided the spotters. He had an announcer that announced Olympic lifting meets and was not very good. Jesus. Um, and I remember him saying, oh, can't you guys speed up? And it's like, speed up? Like, we the just – What you want us to do? We just did our lift, and we have to warm up. There was no warm-up equipment. It was just on the platform. Jesus. We were warming up. At the end of the meet, we always kind of quote this. Mm-hmm. At the end of the meet, the meet director says to all of us, Team Stone, that all came down there, um, if you guys can get my stuff out of here immediately, I got to get out of here as soon as the meet is over. Like, meanwhile, we've driven from Chicago to Charleston, a three-hour ride with this fucking monolith together on the back of my truck. And he says, oh, I got to gotta, I gotta get out of here immediately. Go fuck yourself. Uh, Jackie lifted in that meet. That was Ken's first meet, my brother Ken Stone. Wow, I'm surprised um, he stuck with the sport. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was fun from that perspective. Um, we went over to Irv and Leanne. We went over to Leanne, Leanne mm-hmm. Demansky, yep. Irv Demansky, owners of Progressive Sports Performance, who trained with us at the time. Um, Leanne was from some nearby area of Charleston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the town, but it was like another next door town. Her parents had a farm, and that was probably the most fun part. We got to hang out on the farm. We went to an all-you-can-eat meat place down there in Charleston. Perfect. Perfect. Um, we said the next time, if we ever wanted to do a meet there again, we should just literally hold it in her parents' barn because they had this giant barn. They could, like, move the farm equipment out somewhere else. We would have been and better off. use the farm equipment to move all the shit. Yeah, yeah we would have been better off running the meet in, like, one of their barns. Jesus. And, like, having, like, a potluck afterwards. Um, Sounds awesome, actually. We went to an all-you-can-eat meat place, and our teammate again, another Justin Seepy story, one of my favorites, We've all eaten a lot at this point, and Justin CP orders prime rib well done, which takes a long time to cook. And, like, we're literally – everybody's done eating, and they bring out CP's, like, 
like completely blackened prime rib. Jesus. Um, CP something else, man. Yeah. CP, if you're ever out there, just send me a message and say, I'm alive. That's all I want to know. You don't have to say anything else. Yep. Say, I am alive. And don't charge my card. <laughs> and don't charge my card. <laughs> uh, I'd say that for me. How about you, Mr. Bain? Um, best meet I've competed at. Oh, man. Or, or at least been to. Definitely 2019 WPO was was awesome. Uh, oh, man. I'm trying to think of like just... The ones that stand like, honestly, one of those that stands out is that 2018 Worlds in in Manchester. Like just everything about that trip. Uh, that definitely, I, I didn't mention that one. Is just as you were talking, I was thinking about that one because that definitely stood out to me. I mean, a well put together meet. There, there's a couple things that weren't my absolute favorite. I mean, from a venue perspective. Yeah, but, like, but I, that, but, but that from an experience standpoint, that's definitely like oh my gosh, that's so cool, tippy top. Y- yes, and and you know, shout out to everybody from the UK, the from England, from the Irish team. It, it, Incredibly hospitable, so much fun. Uh, it, we st- I still, I'm in contact with most of those people, which is what's wild to me. Uh, we actually had a Christmas card from Julian and Jess. It was uh, it was pretty funny. Oh, very nice. A Donald Trump Christmas card. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I would say that was one of the best ones as well as that 2019 uh, Super Finals uh, out in um, out in St. Charles at Pheasant Run. Worst meet that I've been to. IPA Worlds in Atlantic City, or as I like to call it, <laughs> Atlantic City Record Breakers. What a fucking shit show that was. And I have nothing against uh, Skiba who put it together. He did everything he could as far Is this as like, older Skiba or younger Skiba? Older Skiba. Okay. Uh, trying to put together a good meet, but just nothing went well for that. And watching people, to your point, warming up on the platform, you know, hey, Wait till the lifter's ready, then call bars loaded. I mean, when you have 30 lifters and the meet takes 13 hours, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Unreal. But, I mean, still had a blast, like, you know, partying, gambling, doing Atlantic City things. But Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because, like, that gold cup meet, probably the worst meet promoted I've been to. Yeah. But, like, afterwards, it was memorable. Like, myself, Detman, Shannon, his wife. Yeah, I mean, I got to hang Maris, out with Bob Merck and, and that crew. and Maris, and, CP, we all went out to eat to Old Country Buffet. Yeah. Famously, Justin CP for <laughs> another Justin CP story. Jesus. Famously, uh, on a bet of me paying for his APF membership card, which at the time was $30, he ate an entire plate of coleslaw and chocolate ice cream. And somewhere... There's a video of that on like an old school flip phone, fuck? and like he fucking pounded that plate. You know, actually, I'm thinking from a meat experience perspective, this shouldn't have been such a great meat, but it was. Uh, was the meat that Gimel and I went to last last year in Lexington, Kentucky, that Jason Lawson put on? Oh, okay. We had because the venue itself was it was in the back of like uh, a, a kind of a commercial gym, but. The crowd was great. Everybody had a great time. It, it, Southern hospitality. And we had so much fun. Uh, nice surprise. Did, uh, Nick Wells and Alexis and Daniel, uh, Danny Tinahero were there. So we got to hang out with them. And fun story about Danny Tinahero. He was two bottles of wild turkey in by the time we got to dinner at 6.30. And drunk Danny. Wow. This is, this is the my favorite part of the story. Danny, I've told the story to some people. I'm putting this out there. If you want us to strip it out. Tell us and we'll edit it, whatever. But uh, Danny says, you know, I see your posts online of the food you eat, which I'm like, I don't post anything I eat. So what are you talking about, dude? I get so worried about your colon. I have a two-minute video of Danny ranting about his worries about my colon. 
Yikes. <laughs> it's one of the funnier things I've ever seen, but also getting a chance to hang out with him. Me, me him, and Gimel hung out the rest of the night, and just an absolute blast. Okay. And, but, but that meet also was very well put together. I mean, they had that room torn down in an hour and a half. It was awesome. I digress. Evil Austin Coke asks, if you could be sponsored by anything, what would it hashtag be? Uh, okay. Uh, serious answer? Serious? Uh, what, I mean, ask uh, us anything. Answer anything. Sure. I mean, I guess Enzer would be number one because I'd love to have all my gear for free. Um, so in that case, overkill. Got it. <laughs> Call it what it is. Uh, I mean, if I was actually like a true sponsorship with cash, like – you know, give me any multinational giant mega corporation. Like I look at the trophies we've got over in the Ernie Franz area. There was like Budweiser, you know, record breakers. Like mm-hmm. give me a, give me, give me a company with lots of money and a big marketing budget. Like give me a Budweiser sponsorship. Give me one of those like giant companies who like, you know, that powerlifters like their product. So like, you know, you talked about, uh, Mondelez. Mondelez, yes. Yes. The people who make, uh, Swedish fish, they make Sour Patch Kids, right. they make and I don't all even, the shit we eat. I don't even like Sour Patch Kids or Swedish fish, neither. But like, but you like checks to cash. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I would, I, and I think that's a good sponsorship for mm-hmm. them. Or, you know, I, I have always At, thought. Abbott like, Labs and Pedialyte. Yeah, another the one would be great. You know, I've, of, I've often thought, like, it's not going to be Monster, it's not going to be Red Bull, but like, a lower tier, like uh, make it rain. Yeah, you know, a lower which, tier, which is owned by Monster. Oh, okay, a lower tier energy drink that's like trying to like make their chops. You know, I Zoa. Think, I think that's like a perfect market. You know, get your niche market with lifters. Um, I think that would really make sense. Actually, um, you know, it would be a great one if we could ever pull it off. Is Five Hour Energy sponsoring the WPO? Because how long does WPO typically oh, last? Oh man, fucking write that down and pitch it. Damn. Wayne, up, we got up, you. Call up Wayne and pull him right now. And I actually know who the founder of 5-Hour Energy is, and amazingly, we're only disconnected by, like, two degrees on LinkedIn. Oh, wow. And, like, actually, people I know know can introduce me to this guy. Let's let's get on it, Mr. Let's, Bain. Let's work on it. How uh, about you, Mr. Bain? Mondelez is one, obviously, um, because, yeah, I love my Swedish fish. If I had to think about, like, and from a gear perspective, yeah, I would love Overkill to sponsor me. And I would take Inzer as well, because I ultimately, like, I love both – sets of gear for different reasons. So, you know, being able to to be a promoter of their brand, I'd be totally about that. Um, so thinking about, like, where else I would go, I would want some type of, like, digital digital outlet. I don't know what it would be, whether it would be, like, some type of, like, immersive sports outlet, something like that where uh, it would be promoted on a, on a multitude of platforms that could be accessed either through your phone, through the computer, uh, TV stream, whatever, because that then helps to really create like a brand for the individual. Like the sponsorship is dope, but ultimately what I would want is to be able to create a brand around, and I'll, it's corny, but around like the Bane 316 thing, because no matter where I'm at, whether it is, whether it would be with Inser, with Overkill, with Mondelez, with Abbott, whomever, ultimately the brand is Bane 316. And eventually, if you do that well enough, whether it's Team Stone, Bane, you know, Buffalo Trace, you know, whatever it may be, uh, eventually the sponsors are chasing you because that brand has the awareness. And so ultimately that's who I would love to partner with and uh, and, and be sponsored by as someone who is doing those kind of multi-channel digital platforms. Okay. At Evil Travis McKinney asks, <laughs> favorite meet either of you had done? And we kind of answered that. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I guess the question is more specifically like favorite meat you've competed in. And I guess that could be any criteria. It could be best performance or it could be favorite meat to go to. I would go back to that 2018 AVPC Worlds in England. Like that was... to me, that, that's, that's probably the favorite meat, like as far as just overall experience, like competing, judging, mm-hmm. coaching. The, the travel, the, the, the nightlife, the, all of us getting drunk as shit the day before Eric had to compete. Yeah, not me. Yeah, no, and I had to do hungover handoffs to Eric. Were, they were still good. He still, I believe he still got a PR that day, but it was, uh, it was rough. So I, so I would agree with that. That 2018 uh, AWPC Worlds uh, is probably probably the top. If it's not top, two, the top one, it's top two. Um, in addition to that, um, another one that always comes to mind for me was my first out of state meet, uh, 2002 AAPF Nationals. I think I did two fourth attempts, um, so I went like 11 for 11 in the meet. I mm-hmm. think um, one best lifter. I didn't find that out until later because the meat director was a pud and didn't submit. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you got it eventually. I, I did, didn't... and I just got a way, way cool trophy. Sh- I didn't get shit. I got it in a newsletter afterwards. He didn't submit drug tests. Uh, this would be less Scammer, less Kramer, who later got kicked out of the AAPF. But that, that always comes up as a top meet for me, 2002. That was in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And, and actually, I would say, yeah, my, my first out-of-state meet was a 2016 AAPF Nationals in Idaho Falls. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Idaho Falls per se, but the people there were dope. Uh, yeah, I think the first time you like, if you've not done a meet out of state, I highly recommend it, whether it's for a nationals or just yeah. pick a regional local meet and go do it. Um, I, I know there's some lifters here that are like, ah, oh, wh- why would I travel? Can I just do a meet here? It's like, I mean, I get it. I think we do really good meets here, obviously, but yeah. I, I think there's something to be said for just the experience of going somewhere else and doing another meet. Yeah, even even if you're going to somewhere like simply going to, you know, Ohio or, or even – Florida is puts on a ton of meets, and honestly, like it's a fun place to go. Like you can do a lot of shit. Yeah, and it's easy to get to. You're there in two hours. Yeah, no doubt. Anyway, at Brett Single Ply Deadlift Suit, why can I out deadlift Bane? Steroids. Perfect. <laughs> That's it. Steroids. At Gmo sixty eight asks, will APF Illinois host money meets in twenty twenty two and beyond? Could the national meet ever structure a payout or even consider some stipend or sponsorship towards Worlds if qualified? Uh, stipends does sound like government funding, which is socialism, so uh, you're canceled. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I, it's definitely something that I have thought about before. Um, will we host any money meets in 2022? I would say probably not. I'm not going to say no. Here's the thing. And certainly, like, the meets make money. Like, mm-hmm. In general, like, we're a business. Like, yeah, you're, businesses, you're, you're not a nonprofit. Yeah, we're not a non-for-profit, with the exception of the autism meet. Like, there are some meets occasionally that will break even. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the meets make money. But, like, if you're going to give out prize money, like, that needs to come from somewhere. So I'm not just going to give prize money from the proceeds of the meet. Like, I know some meets occasionally have done kind of like, I guess, in uh, rodeo, they do like a pot thing where, like, the pro lifters put in money and all that money oh, yeah, yeah. goes towards the pot. So, like, I guess I would consider doing something like that where instead of a $100 entry, it's a $200 entry and 100 goes to me and 100 goes towards the pot. Mm-hmm. So then if you get 10 pro lifters, you know, you have $1,000. Yep. Uh, but here's the thing. If we had sponsors to, you know, like the people we talked about, like if they said, hey, we want to sponsor nationals mm-hmm. and we want to give you $10,000 and we want 5000 that to go towards 
payouts. Like, sure, I, I'm, yeah, I'm certainly open to that. The only thing is, I don't want to muddy the waters too much with the WPO, and I would rather, like, I would be happy to get sponsorship and for prize money for my meets. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, I would rather, to some degree, that if there was a big sponsor that wanted to give big prize money, I think from the APF perspective, it probably makes sense to direct them towards the WPO because that's our, like, ultimate multiply. Now, I have put some thought in my mind when I do my morning walks. I'm often just, like, thinking, thinking, thinking. Mm-hmm. I put some thoughts into, like, doing, like, you know, an alternative. Are these your vertical walks? Or? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I guess they are 10-minute walks. Okay. It was fucking cold this morning, though. Fuck yeah, it was. Um, I've put some thought, some thought into, like, you know, could there be, like, a fall uh, alternative to WPO for raw for the APF? Mm-hmm. Like, could we do, like, an APF big, you know, raw Chicago pro meet and you know kind of like your maximized raw where it's hey we have the monolith we have the squat bar we have you know three meter knee wraps i know Mm -hmm. that's not super unique compared to some other raw federations but to some degree i mean uspa is walked out i think wrpf is mostly monolith i believe right Uh, i believe so yeah yeah so i i have put some thought into that i just the only thing i always think about when i think about meets is is there an actual niche in the marketplace for that mm-hmm. can i do it can i can we can 2xl can apf illinois do it better or more unique than how somebody else is doing it i'm mm-hmm. just not sure the answer is yes gotcha given all the other pro raw meets now sure would i like to take some of that you know and bring some of those people to the apf and have more of an upper echelon goal for the raw lifters and to draw those raw lifters into the APF? Sure. Yes. You know, I think right now the WPO is drawing equip lifters to the APF. Mm-hmm. Could we have a similar type of draw for raw lifters? Classic raw, I would say. Yeah. Um, sure, possibly. Um, the, the second question, um, would you ever consider a stipend sponsorship towards worlds if qualified? That's an idea that's been tossed around before, like, you know, if you qualify for Worlds, could the national organization give each lifter, you know, a stipend for their travel to go to Worlds? I would – to me, it wouldn't be qualified. If you win nationals, to me, that would qualify. If, if that was ever going to be a consideration, that would be the, the big one to me is if you win nationals, then you potentially qualify well, what do you for mean? a stipend. First place or, like, when best lifter? Best, best lifter. Yeah. So one thing we did, we, we did in a couple state meets ago, and I haven't done it in recent years, but maybe I could bring this concept back, was what we did, and we being at that time was just APF Illinois, um, the best lifters from the state meet. It was much easier because there was only, like, men's and women's best lifters. Yep. Now it's a little bit more complicated with raw, equipped, and single-ply yep. and all that stuff. Yep. But what we did for the men's and women's best lifters was that we said we would comp their national meet entry. So basically we would we – would, and, and instead of just giving them cash, because like I think if you just give people cash, they might just put it in their pocket. And say, exactly. So I, I would tell them, assuming you're going to do an APF or AAPF national meet, and I think I did four. I think I did men's APF, men's AAPF, women's APF, women's AAPF. Mm. And I said, if you want to enter an APF or AAPF national meet, I will simply write a check to the meet director. And Perfect. I remember there was a couple times where the lifter said they'd already entered nationals. So in that case, just wrote them a check. I, I just wrote them a check. I yep. remember Shannon Detman had already entered AAPF nationals. Mm-hmm. She won best lifter at, 
I want to say 2008 or not. Yeah, 2008 uh, Illinois State meet, and I think that's when we went to Lake George, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote her a check. So that's something we've done before. Could you do something similar for Worlds? Sure. Uh, that's something that's been tossed around before. Um, I, it's definitely something that I think the APF could consider. It's just an issue of, like, who gets it. And the problem is, like, if only, like, two people get it, does that really achieve does, that? Does that incentivize people? Does that incentivize? And that's the whole issue with, like, giving cash prizes. Like, unless a, a decent pool of people, and there's going to be a later question that kind of ties into this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you know Hoff's going to win, are people still incentivized to go? I, I think yes, because they want to be on that platform. But if you know you're going to get second and you're going to get $0, let's say all the money went to the first place yeah, winner. For winner takes I, think, all, right? I think that de-incentivized. And if you don't have a a giant pile of cash, like let's say we could scrounge together $2,000 for the, the Nationals mm-hmm. to give away the prize money. Sure. Could we probably scrape that away from our proceeds? Sure. So maybe you say best multiply ma- male, best multiply female. Each of them get $1,000. Sure. Does that add value to the meet? Sure. Does that improve the attendance of the meet? Does that maybe, improve the possibly, quality of the meet? Like, I don't – does that – does that – uh draw better talent to the meet mm-hmm. like i don't know and i'm not saying that's bad to give people money if they win i think that's a good thing but from a strategic business standpoint i'm just not sure at this point unless i get sponsor money how to do that makes sense uh at jake is always right asks how many geese could each of you simultaneously defeat in unarmed combat billions and billions and billions and billions um i'm gonna say like at max one um, funny story, or maybe kind of, I don't know, interesting story. I was out walking both dogs. We used to have two dogs mm-hmm. and I had Jacob in the front carrier. And when geese have like a, a nest, Dude, they, they are, are hyper protective. They, they are, fu- they're going to fucking go after you. And I was just walking my dogs. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the dogs, especially my dog that passed away, Kilo, mm-hmm. she would want to attack the geese. And like this, this goose, it was like coming after me and I have two dogs and a child like yes. attached to me, and I had to like kick it away. So I don't think I want to go in any armed combat, especially with a goose with some eggs. Nah, fuck all that. I, I defeat a goose, no problem. Okay. Yep. I got you. I, I, I'll protect you. Okay. <laughs> At Wakefield5523 asks, would you rather decide a pro meet on formula or on total with reduced weight classes? So this is an interesting question, kind of going back to our previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the current WPO format is via formula. Um, the previous WPO was via weight classes. Mm-hmm. I personally like reduced weight classes, and here's why. Um, I think, and I, I think the formula is fine. I think the best person probably ends up winning. Like, who's the best lifter in the WPO for men? It's Hoff. It's like, Dave, yeah. Yeah, like, sure. I mean, uh, you know... I think it's a little bit more nebulous female. I think Deanna obviously had an unbelievable performance. Mm-hmm. But, like, I personally think from an audience standpoint, from a following the meat standpoint, I just think it's better to just have the person that lifts the most weight win. Because when you're explaining coefficient, like, yes, you can make the uh, the analogy to pound for pound. It's not pound for pound. We know that. But, it, but it's similar, and that's what people kind of get. And from a strategic standpoint, it's just much. There's, there's just like too much math involved. And I like the formula fine, but like, I think it would be better to have 
you know, the and maybe it's just lightweight, heavyweight. I think the old WPO three weight classes was lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. I kind of like that. I, I dig that. Um, and we, and we, we now have 12 weight classes for, for men and for women, like four, four, and four. No problem. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it was – there was a couple versions in the old WPO. One was lightweight. It was up to 165, and one was up to 181. It kind of depended on the meat. At one mm-hmm. point, you had four. At one point, you had three. Uh, three sounds good to me. Um, three for each, you know, lightweight, heavyweight, or lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. And then yeah, just, I'm just saying you split, you split the current weight classes into – Three, me- three, three super weight classes exactly. and just the most weight lifted wins. Exactly. Now, certainly that favors the lifters that are at the upper ends of the, those weight classes. Like, I get it. I think on the heavyweight standpoint, I just don't know that there's – like, Dave Hoff could easily cut to 275. Yeah. And, like, so is a super heavyweight but advantage. But he can also smoke everybody at, at 310. Right. So is, is, is a super heavyweight advantage against Hoff? No. So I think if you go just a heavyweight class, like – We'll say above 242, mm-hmm. fine. Middleweight, maybe. I think there was a couple versions. I think middleweight was up to 220. But maybe you make it up to 242. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess the shorter answer is I would personally rather have reduced weight classes, have three, maybe four mega weight classes, and just the top total wins. And then I think from a strategic standpoint, like – you go back to those old school, like people changing their deadlift numbers because you're just trying to beat someone's numbers, yep. just their total. And that's kind of been the origin of the sport. I don't dislike the formula, and I, and I, I think the reason the WPO is doing it. We did a whole episode on them. So. Yeah, I think the reason the WPO currently has done it because it's like, okay, then you just have six winners, you know, three yep. men, three women, and it's very easy. You know, the top 15 from the semifinals compete. Uh, the top 15 go to, a, go to the super finals. Yep. Like, I like – you know, the, the, the uniformity the, and the, the structure of yeah. the simplicity. But I guess I would rather see it um, just pure total in mega weight classes. I, I agree. I, I'm very much in favor of the total with, with reduced weight classes. And, and to your point, like, I, I don't mind the formula. The formula is great. I think it's great to be able to have some type of, as close as we can, apples to apples comparison of, like, an Adam Zevchek and Dave Hoff. Sure. Because yeah, really, if you go if you go pound like the the totals against each other, there is no comparison. But it, and why it, not both? You know, yeah. and it takes nothing away from Adam because Adam's yeah. incredibly strong. Yeah. And so to be able to have that that compare, but also then also to be able to give those totals the the respect they deserve because tell somebody I've got a you know a five eighty Glossberger. What the fuck is that? Who cares? No, yeah. tell somebody that you have a thirty one hundred pound total. Right. That's what matters. That's right. what people. And, fucking and do. yeah, in the ideal world, maybe you have both. You know, mm-hmm. you have. Lightweight up to 181, and heavyweight up to, or middleweight up to 242, and yeah. you know heavyweight above that, and then okay, the top three in each of those gets prize money, and then the best of the best gets an extra. Yeah, prize. it was a 500 bonus, whatever, you know. Yeah, depends, depends on the prize pool, but yeah. Uh, interesting, yeah. Uh, interesting question though. Definitely, I'll let you take this one. At Big Papa Comp 99. <laughs> Can we get a, quote, supplement vending machine in the 2XL locker room? Well, we wanted to have a Red Bull one, but uh, at Huck Finn Barbell destroyed it. Famous video. Yep. (laughs) At Jerry MF Cool asks, how was the APF Summer Bash, atmosphere-wise, et cetera? To be fair, his question was way longer, but I've I've paraphrased some of your guys' questions. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll speak on it first. Summer Bash was my first meet, Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of— That you promoted. Yep. Yep. First meet that I promoted. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Um, and it's kind of like my baby. It's a meet that I created. Um, there was never like a big summer meet, at least 
in the the time that I'd been around the sport. I'm sure Ernie'd run a summer meet before. Sure. Um, but it's kind of a. Why don't you try running the meet? Yeah, it was kind of a a, a meet that I created, um, built over the last almost 20 years now. Um, it's a good local meet. It gets a decent mix of experienced and uh, novice lifters. Probably trends more towards the novice lifters, but because it's kind of like a more dead time for meets, it you know it will get some more experienced lifters. Um, for a while, we weren't getting any equipped lifters at all, and mm-hmm. that's changed in the last maybe only just year, um, where we're starting to get you know at least a flight or flight or two's worth of equipped lifters, but. A lot of raw lifters, I mean, I don't know that the atmosphere is wholly different than a lot of the other meets that we run. Um, we try to run all of our meets, you know, very efficiently, um, uh, try to schedule things out, try to communicate well with lifters. Um, so well, you, sh- you should tell them all the rules, but don't, like, make the rules meeting too long. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I would say, oh, I'm just going to come out and say it. If I'm on the platform, it's going to be a fucking cool atmosphere. I will tell you that right now. Um, which I believe for the summer bash I will be. Uh, what are the dates again? That's going to be an August meet this year, August sixth and seventh. Perfect, because I'll be. I believe I'm going to go to the American Pro in Manassas uh, the week before that. So yeah, so I plan on working the summer bash. Uh, okay. This year. So that'll be a two day meet this year. It has been a three day meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, I, it's still maybe a three day meet. We'll see. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't put out registration yet, so I've just put tentative dates out there. I'm, I'm still going to. We've gone back to two platform meets. We're kind of doing a staggered. So mm-hmm. I, the interesting thing about the summer bash that we've done is we put teens and juniors on Friday, right? kind of in the middle of the day, which you can do in the summer. Because these fuckers don't have school. Right. And so you can <laughs> do that in the summer, which you can't necessarily do um, you know, during the school year. I mean, you could for a national meet because it's a bigger deal, but not for a local meet. Yeah. But, yeah, so the the atmosphere is always dope. And, you know, when, when I'm on the platform, it is and, – and, uh, again, I'm bragging on myself a little bit. It is a very unique atmosphere. Uh, we'll bring the heat. It's going to be fun. The atmosphere in general at a 2XL meet is incredible because you have the space for people. The venue is large. It's really cool to have this separate space to warm up, to kind of wait for the, your, your flight. The platform area is amazing. And, and the venue itself is just great, and it's very well placed uh, outside of Cook County in Chicago, so it's not Chicago. Uh, and around a lot of things that you know you can do, and, and then if you do want to go to the city, you're 45 minutes away. So, uh, awesome spot, great place. It will be a great meet, very amazing, very very well done. Uh, so, highly recommend people sign up for the summer batch when registration's live. Yeah, and it's funny. Like, I got a guy again who emailed today. Is like, I saw that you're running some meets. Can I get information on them? And I'm like, uh, which meet? Oh my god! <laughs> and he said, Oh, the summer bash and the rise of the deadlift. I'm like, Well. I mean, the rise of the deadlift is literally nine months away, and the summer bash is like seven months away. So, yeah. I, typically, registration will come out five to six months out of time. I mean, yeah. no more than six. And just the way that our point of uh, point of sale software works, I don't like to put out registration um, any earlier than six months out. It's yeah. just kind of the way that the pricing options work in there. But, but if that is the question anybody has, is will Bain be on the platform the summer bash? Yes, I will. Okay. What other meets will you be at on the platform? Uh, uh, Illinois State Meet in March. The Raw? The Raw Meet, yep. Uh, Equipta will not be. Okay. Well, we're going to recruit at Big Papa Comp to lead the platform on that one. Ooh, to lead the platform. Well, of course. Okay. I mean, okay. Well, what else would he do? Well, usually side spots when I'm leading it. Oh, well, he's going to back spot then. 
Right, he backspotted at the Midwest Crypto. He did. No, it was great. Yeah. He did awesome. Hopefully nobody bleeds on his hand from their head at this one. Yeah. That would be, that would be preferable. Uh, <laughs> at Jarvis Performance, do you have any updates on the Lombard meet? <laughs> I think we just gave him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's that's the answer. I don't understand this question from Big Still. What are your thoughts on 99 Bananas? Is that like a pop culture thing? I was or? hoping you would know about that. Let's let's go to the Google yeah, machine. Maybe Hold. check that out on like Urban Dictionary or the Google machine. In the meantime, I will... Yeah, you can ask go, the next I'll, question. I'll, I'll go ahead and read the next one. At Lift, and we had another one on Facebook, which was essentially the same question, and I, I didn't write that one down. But oh, was, my God. <laughs> it's a, a 100 proof shot that I believe you may have gotten out of the WPO. Oh, I don't think I got it. Okay. Oh, maybe I did. <laughs> oh, maybe I did as part of that uh, that that very uh, rough night that we that, had. That Dr. Fred Clary like mini. Oh, well, if that's what that is. The, it, oh, this is the COVID elixir. That makes sense now. Oh God, uh, never again. <laughs> like I'm gonna stick to good quality. I'm gonna stick to good quality uh, liquor. No more Dr. Fred Clary style oh. liquor out of plastic bottles for me. We love you, Fred. Yeah, Dr. Fred. At, at lifting Lutheran is lifting with a crew absolutely necessary for equipped lifting. I know it's a plus, but do you know of any people using gear training by themselves? Not well. Is it absolutely necessary? I mean, no. Like, I, I don't like. If we're talking about absolute, there's a different question. What's absolutely necessary and what's optimal? Mm-hmm. I think. It is optimal. Now, let's break down equip lifting, single ply, multiply. I think for multiply, it's as close to being absolutely necessary as it could be, especially from an optimization optim- optimization standpoint. As far as single ply lifting, I think you maybe can do it with moderate gear more on your own. I, I just I don't even know how you get the gear on without at least a training partner. Um I think a crew is more preferred, but like I think about our uh, our college lifter uh, Marissa, mm-hmm. who's going to college, and unfortunately she's training with. I mean, not unfortunately, she's training with a team where most of everybody but her is raw. Yeah, m- there's maybe one other person that's done equip, but everybody else is basically raw, and so she has a crew, but they don't necessarily know equip lifting that well, especially when it comes to a bench shirt. I mean, there is no way she'd be able to bench in her insert bolt without like people that know how to work benchers. The first time she went in it, she literally could barely bend her elbows. Yikes. And by three sessions and we were able to get her down to a one board. So uh, say some more weight, you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, as far as optimization, I'd say uh, it's as close to necessary as it could be. Um, I mean, like I think Blaine Sumner's done a lot of his equipment lifting by himself, but uh, now we're talking about somebody who's a complete freak of nature. Correct. And, and he also almost like completely tore his fucking hand off. Yes, yes. I mean, he didn't even killed himself. Yeah. I mean, from a safety standpoint, sure. If you're doing in a power rack, gosh, I just, you can probably do a suit bottom on your own. I don't know how you get a suit up that's tight, like even a single ply suit without a handler. And I just don't even know how you bench in a shirt without at least a training partner. Yeah, so, so my take on it is flat out no. It, it, or flat, flat out yes, it is necessary. And the reason being is from a safety perspective, from an optimization of training, and like, and, and understand this is not me like bagging on anybody or like telling people they're, they're bad or anything like that. Like some people, like this is the, the hand they're dealt and they play it. 
what is the point of getting in the gear if you're not going to have A, people that know what the hell they're doing around you, B, people protecting you from yourself, and C, like, if nothing else, like, to deal with all the different factors that come in with gear, why not have other people around you that can just keep you on the straight and narrow? If you have the guardrails. If you don't have a crew, like, just create one. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, when Marissa went down to college and she realized that really none of her teammates had a great concept of equipped lifting, mm-hmm. I said, you're just going to have to train. Some- like, nobody had even really wrapped knees before. I said, you're just going to have to train somebody to do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going to have to find somebody that's willing, be it your your roommate, be it your boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, be it one of your other teammates. I know she's had a couple of different you know, teammates help her. It's like, just teach someone how to do yeah. it. Um, and, you know, we talked about it with the Laura Phelps Instagram post mm-hmm. from a number of months ago where she said, you'll become a better teammate, you'll become a better lifter by helping others. And I, there is, is value in that. Absolutely. You, um, at Eric's Old Franz Briefs, Bane, would you rather lift in a USAPL meet or a Powerlifting America meet? Uh, approximately how long do those sessions last for, for those meets? Uh, I don't know, four to five hours. Yeah, I'd really put myself in the dick for that four to five hours and do Yikes. one of those things. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, how do you think the USAPL will be affected by Powerlifting America? So that's a great question. Um, you know, you're seeing people kind of make their allegiances. We we talked about it uh, last week with uh, talk about Russ Orhe. You see, like Heather O'Connor, um, Bonica Brown, some others that are making their their pledge towards Powerlifting America because there is that draw of IPF Worlds. Mm-hmm. So. And I have some intel that says a lot of the old-time kind of curmudgerly mm-hmm. USAPL types that have been around for a very long time, one of whom's – oh, gosh, you want to talk about somebody that Billy Mimna really dislikes. There's somebody whose nickname is Red Light, mm-hmm. who apparently is going more towards the powerlifting America side. Um, yeah, so I, I feel that it is going to impact them. I don't think it's going to impact them as much as powerlifting America and those around it think it's going to. Because the USAPL does have, at least currently, the draw of the Pro Series. Now, I do have questions if the Pro Series is sustainable. And I was thinking about this as I was looking at some pictures from USAPL Nationals. And they had all their sponsors up there. They had SBD. They had Rogue. Is the draw for those companies still there if there's not the attachment to what is an elite-level meet, which is IPF Worlds, whether it's Classic. The World Games. The World Games. Like... Is that draw still there, and does it make financial sense for them to still pump their money into these pro series when most of these young people within the USAPL, what are they focused on doing? Do well, win these meets, win their money, and then promote their own brand. Um, I, I should have maybe put this as our hot topic of the week, but as long as we're talking about USAPL, did you see the top 25 women's list that the USAPL put out? No. Well, <laughs> if you hadn't seen it. Because remember, it, I'm still blocked from them. Oh, okay. Well, it uh, it neglected to include a number of very specific lifters who, I guess... Possibly some that I just listed off? Uh, right. Some of those, like Bonica Brown and... Bonica. Uh, what's that? Bonica. Bonica. Mm-hmm. And uh, the she, one... She corrected me when she was at 2XL. Oh, sure. <laughs> and the individual who would have the top total, Amanda Lawrence, the, the top uh, dots, coefficient, whatever score, who literally won... Best lifter at IPF Worlds. Well, she competed for the U.S. Virgin Islands. So. Well, she competed at USAPL Nationals. Mm-hmm. And all of those lifts, even though they were done in the USAPL, were not included in their list. And kind of created a little bit of a social media firestorm this week. Amanda Lawrence had a post about it. 
Um, the comment section below, especially on Instagram, was it's litty. Was yeah, it, it, they were getting into it there, and it was not favorable to the USAPL, who said, "Hey, if you want to go compete Powerlift America, fine. You still have a spot here in the USAPL, but we're not going to include you in our ranking list now." Yeah, so I mean, they, they're they're being a little petty there. They are. They're, they're they well, they're continuing their elitist attitude. This is what the USAPL has been well, doing it, since I got involved in the sport. Well, and Powerlifting America though is going to have a similar elitist they're, attitude. Absolutely, because they're, they're going to have. I mean. Okay. I've already started to do the research on this Powerlifting America USAPL IPF episode. We actually found the video mm-hmm. that I think someone from the USAPL took on a cell phone of the extraordinary General Assembly meeting where the USAPL was voted out. Yeah. I haven't taken the hour and a half to watch it yet. Maybe if I do one of my, like, if it's a warm enough sometime, or maybe I'll do it inside. Yes, yeah, do, do it on the treadmill. Do it on the treadmill and do one of my, you know, 10-minute vertical walks. Um, I'm waiting for the minutes mm-hmm. uh, to be posted, and apparently they're being reviewed before posted. They're not going to be posted for a couple of years. So I'm calling that now. Oh, okay. Well, I can just watch the video then. That's yeah. We're, we're going to have to watch the video. I've got a lot of documentation. And- I, I'm just going to say this: as far as Pilots in America and Strength and Anger goes, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay fucking tuned. And I, I've <laughs> I do have a lot a lot of research, and one of the things that started this whole process was at the beginning of 2021, the IPF changed their constitution such that all member nations had to follow all rules at all levels of meets. And the USAPL had always adopted the attitude that they don't have to follow all IPF rules. Like if you're at a local meet, you don't have to have all IPF approved equipment. Like I saw somebody with a metal singlet Mm -hmm. at the local USAPL meet that I went to, which is... I'm actually surprised they didn't tell him he couldn't wear it. I, I am too, actually. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, because it's definitely not approved, but it's also racist. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there, there's more to, There's more to go on there. Go so, ahead, Mr. Bain. Let's go with <laughs> Chan's retired SDP. Would you ever give a lift back due to loose judging and therefore prove your integrity to all the internet? No. Go fuck yourself. Now let me Sweet. now let me back it up a little bit. If I felt the judging was so egregiously loose, um, I wouldn't give a lift back. But I probably wouldn't like I would if it was an APF meet. As an executive board member, I would probably make a report and send it to the office. Um, if it was another federation meet or another meet director, I probably just wouldn't go back to that meet because mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel that it's the type of meet I'd want to go to. So, so I. I've thought about this in so many ways because, I, like, I have really good friends that have asked for lifts to be reviewed because they did not believe they actually got the lift, and that's your prerogative. I'm not going to, and here's why. I was coached, I was taught, I was brought up. You play to the whistle. You always play to the whistle. I play to the white lights in this game at this point, and, and that's what it is. This is a hobby. When people talk about, oh, your integrity, or you know, I need to make sure this lift is good. I do, but I don't. Like I. Literally, the meat director is who is paying these three people. And if this is what matters to them, that they are the judge that gives the white light, so be it. And and if it it truly is going to be this massive issue that causes global cl- calamity, then maybe that's in the fucking plan. Let let all the dominoes fall. And I always go back to uh, Julius Maddox's all-time world record bench two years ago now, almost three. 
where it was pretty soft at the top. And everybody, was, they were just ripping, like, you need to give that back, give that back. And you know what he did? A few months later, he comes out and he smokes it and then adds more to it. That's exactly how records fucking work. Every one of these records or these lists like, that are going to count, so to speak, with the loose judging, guess what? Someone's going to come and fucking break it. Because that's how it works. At Khaki Goon Squad <laughs> Pants. Oh, I'm sorry. At Goon Squad Khaki Pants. Yes. Khaki what would squad. you do if the APFWPC approved banned, quote, shirts? Uh, well, knowing that they won't, it's not really an issue. But if they did, if for whatever reason Eric was paid off, because we know he would take the money, that's really what he does. Is he wants to get lifters bombed out so he can take their money. Um, I I learn it. Yeah, I I I have put some thought into this. I would hope if it ever was approved, at least it would be something that, like the WPO is doing for their bench bass, something that is similar to a actual shirt. Not just a fucking you know slingshot. Mm-hmm. Um, I am fairly loyal to the APF, and there were some times in the the mid, the early two twenty tens where a lot of people were jumping ship, and I got, I'm not gonna say I got a bunch of offers, but let's say if I wanted to drop an email to many other organizations yeah. and ask to be a state chair, I, it, it's, it would be an expedited process. Yeah, right. it wouldn't be hard for me to become a state chair for somebody else. And I, mean, I stuck with the APF because I. That's tough, though. Like, you run a small business, you're a parent. I mean, you, you would be really tired from all those events. Um, so <laughs> I have put some thought into, like, what if the APF ever got to the point where, like, there was something that, like, I vehemently disagreed with? Would I ever leave? Like, maybe. It would have to be something that, like, I felt was an egregious change. So, that's what I'm saying. Like something very egregious, like that was detrimental to the sport and potentially dangerous to the listeners. Right. At a certain point, like I, I do have a vote and there's times when like in the recent rule, I put forth in the recent rule change for the APF WPC that we should allow tape on the thumb, a thumb essentially. And right. I, I request that we change the language to make that clear. Instead of that, they just eliminated that entire section and said, no more tape on the thumb at all. Go fuck yourself. I, I, and I, I probably will never use tape on my thumb because I don't do a hook grip. Mm-hmm. So I don't really care, but like I disagree with that ruling. Right. Um, it's not going to change anytime soon, yeah. but so I'm going to follow it. And so generally speaking, I agree with the democratic process. Like mm-hmm. you vote on something, if you disagree with it, Oh, you agree with the Democrat <laughs> that's, process. That's just, you know, sometimes, like, I didn't agree with the APF adding a single-ply division all the way back in 2009 and, and set as such. Um, did you say single-ply is bullshit? I did not. But, <laughs> I did, but I, me and Ken Stone did have some posts on that and then got pulled aside by Kieran Kidder, who Jeez. said it was only going to be a Southern thing, you know, in the South. Sure, sure Separate sure, meets sure. for single-ply. Sure, which, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. No problem. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if they approve banned shirts, I guess I would probably try to use one. Um, I, again, I will continue to vote against it. We have two episodes on that now, mm-hmm. but, uh, I guess it, I, I can't say I'm not intrigued. I can't say well, I'm not. Here, there was a recent video by Jimmy Culp where he did 1400 mm-hmm. to one board yep. in an F eight shirt. Correct. Again, and, and very impressive. Jimmy taking nothing away from him at a certain point, it just becomes almost unmanageable from a safety perspective. Mm-hmm. And that is probably my number one concern with them. Because if a guy like Jimmy Kolb, who's got the all-time world record in, a, in an actual bench shirt, mm-hmm. can do 300 pounds more in a band shirt, like, what, like, and that, has he optimized it? Could he do 1,500? What's, I mean, what's, what, a, what's a person like Dave or like Bars or like, like you, right. you suddenly have an entire flight of people at 1,200 or more? 
Like, at what point do you not have the equipment that can physically support it? And, you know... Can the platform, Hunter, the bench support Hunter's, it? Hunter's, you know, well, we have to make that equipment. With what? With who? How? Who's paying for that? Like, is there extra money with these band shirts in the sport? I know that Rob Farrell, to his credit, he has put a good amount of mm-hmm. his own company's money towards the sport. Credit where credit's due. But is there the type of money to create a new safety system, platform, bench, bar? Like, I don't know. I think no. I, I am inclined to agree. Anything else, Mr. Bain? No, I don't, no more questions, but I, I I always enjoy doing these. They're always fun. We always get a couple silly questions, and they're always a good time. And uh, I, The biggest thing I can I have to say is I just appreciate people like being willing to interact with us. Uh, so I podcast has become kind of like this really fun hobby for for me not just here with strength and anger i do actually uh two more podcasts that i'm a host of one for work and one this is kind of a lifestyle one that uh we don't do anywhere near as many episodes as we do with strength and anger and the work one we do about every six weeks we do an episode but this year our goal is to drop 30 episodes okay and all logistics supply chain related you know it, it that's that's my focus on that um but I never take it lightly when people interact with us. And, and we had a meeting uh, yesterday talking about kind of the schedule for the first few months of the year, uh, who our guests are, what our topics are going to be, and, and whatnot. And our CEO was like, man, the, the first episode only got 100 listens. I'm like, you understand, we did this with no fanfare, zero. All it was was our network being leveraged, and we had 100 listens in our 24 hours. That's huge. This, by the seventh episode that we got, uh, which is the end of the year, which was uh, actually interviewing him, in the first 36 hours, we had 250 listens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, most podcasts don't do that. But it's really cool to be able to, like, having learned what we've learned here with Strength and Anger. And it's just, I never take it lightly when people interact with us. And so I appreciate so much that everybody who asks questions, everybody who inter- you know, DMs us, whatever, thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. Continue to do so. Um, and also to the person that asked when they get to see a thousand pound squat from me, go fuck yourself, Anthony. <laughs> I next, see that with all the world. Next week and beyond, Mr. Bain. Yes. Um, yes, we are working on a timeline of the USAPL's removal. I sent you a bunch of documentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally have pages and pages of letters. Billions and billions and of billions. Letters, internet posts, um, official court documentation. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I am waiting for the minutes, but I found the video, as I mm-hmm. mentioned. So. That one's probably a little bit on the back burner. Um, it, it's going to happen, along with the Anabolics book. I have received it. It's literally this thick and as wide. It's not. A, it's actually bigger than the Bible and about as thick. Mm-hmm. I guess it is the, the Bible of Anabolics. Mm-hmm. So I've received it. Um, again, we are going to interview Peter Royo at some point. Maybe we'll move that one up soon. Um, and then we've got our transitioning episode mm-hmm. coming up fairly soon as well. Yep. Um, so we've got, got some good. Got ups- the green light from Mr. Bob Merck to join us. So uh, it's got to get that scheduled. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely more interviews. We've got a lot of kind of interviews. Uh, again, uh, one of those were like it just sometimes things just have to fall in place before we yep. can interview somebody. Um, our Bane and I schedule, which is both meaningly busy, and then obviously if. You know, other people have like a regular job, or yeah. if not, you know, that there's always some, uh, some. Uh, there's always things. Yeah, there's always things there. So, yeah. Um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Leave us feedback on our Instagram account. Drop in our DMs and check out our merch store. Link tree for all of those things is in our bio. And if you buy anything from our merch store and you get a picture of that tag "Strength and Anger" in it, 
sometime in January, anybody that does that, I will draw a name and I will pay for either another shirt or anything else on the website that you want. Perfect. Perfect. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger. <laughs>